welcome to Ogilav Nanagus. Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologist Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody at www.storyarchaeology.com. Series 4 Rowing Around Imrama. Episode 6 When is an Imrol not an Imrol? The Voyage of St. Brendan. The monk who was late. The young monk stood in the boat, staring out across the silver grey sea. There was something out there. He had been set to watch, but he was not willing to alert his companions until he was sure. Yes, it was an island. He could make out the distant shape of it, the bare, ragged rockiness of it, as it tore aside the mist fronds, appearing stark and clear. The swell was high and the rolling waves made his stomach shudder. But the monk feared that it was not the uncertain sea that made him so queasy. It was not even the long watch or the griping hunger of a two-day fast. Not this time. It was what he kept seeing in the father's face each time he looked at him that set his guts to churning. Uh, he knew that he was not imagining it. So often throughout this strange voyage, he had turned to find the man of God just gazing at him, as if looking right through him, deep in thought. And each time the young monk had lowered his own eyes quickly, but not before he caught a glimpse of the abbot's thoughts. It was implacable judgment he saw in those piercing eyes. Or was it pity? The nausea rose up in his stomach again, and he turned away from the sea. And there was Abbot Brendan, just standing there, still as a stone pillar, in spite of the heaving of the Korok. He might have been taking in the first view of the oncoming island, but the young monk knew that this was not so. The holy man was looking directly at him with an expression of deep sadness and compassion. This time the younger man tried to hold his gaze, but he could not. It was too much for him. Averting his eyes, he mumbled, I see land, father. I know, my son, the abbot answered quietly. There had been three of them at the start, three young men, three friends who had embarked on this adventure together. They had entered the monastery together, embracing the austere life with glorious enthusiasm and fervour. Oh, it had offered such bright promise, such a clean, clear vision. And together they had vowed to follow the footsteps of their blessed abbot and ascend the high paths of sainthood together. They had managed to keep to the rule, well, most of the time, as well as any of the others, and... And there was always a way back, through confession and the purity of penance. Then the flame of fervour would burn harder than ever. So when they discovered that the man of God was selecting a group of companions to accompany him to the land of promise of the saints, they were determined to be included. Oh, this would be the greatest of adventures. And why had they, his most promising pupils, been left out? Well, maybe they had forced his hand, uh, just a little, uh, given him no choice. They had threatened to fast against him. Oh, dearest father, they had said, suffer us for the love of Christ who accompany you on this voyage. 
Otherwise, we will die of hunger and thirst, for we are resolved to travel with you all the days of our lives. And that was when he'd first seen that look on Brendan's face, that blend of judgment and pity. It had been disturbing, and it had troubled their spirits even more than his answer to them. Have your will, my children, he told them. I know well why you have come here. One of you has acted well, for God has provided him an excellent place. Uh, but for the others, he has appointed harm and judgment. It hadn't stopped them from joining the group, of course. Father Abbott was always coming out with cryptic sayings. But somehow he could never quite forget what he'd seen in Brendan's eyes. Now he was alone, his two friends gone. One of them hadn't got far. He was lost right at the beginning of the voyage, when they were still keen for challenges and visions. They'd found a rocky island and a landing place in a small gorge with high dark walls. Oh, then there was a dog, a friendly creature that came snuffling and sniffing, welcoming them as they landed. They had followed the animal to a well-built and spacious house. There were couches enough for all to rest, water enough for washing, and food enough to feed them, but no inhabitants to invite them in. They hesitated until Father Abbot gave permission for them to refresh themselves. And then they began to look around. It was a fine house, but most interesting were the many vessels, inlaid horns and horse harness made from silver and other precious metals. They touched them gingerly, admiring their beauty. But Brendan sternly forbade them to take anything. To do so, he told them, would be to commit the sin of theft. And yet, thought the young monk to himself, had they not been left for us, just like the food and the water, why should those beautiful things also not have been gifts dedicated to the further glory of God? He had not noticed his friend pocket the small silver bridle bit, uh, but clearly Brendan had seen the theft, although he said nothing until they were back in the boat and it was too late to restore the object. The man of God was terrible in his righteousness. His hand trembled with rage as he pointed towards the thief, denouncing the deed. The younger man cried out in terror, pulling the stolen bit from his pocket, throwing it from him in horror. And they watched him as he cried out his guilt, begging for forgiveness. Brandon said nothing, but raised the miserable man to his feet. Now it may have been the power of Father Abbott's words, thought the monk to himself, as he recalled the terrible scene. But I know what I saw. It seemed that a small black boy, an imp, leapt from the monk's chest, howling that he'd been expelled from his seven-year home, and once the saint had banished the demon, he spoke to the repentant thief in a gentler tone. My son, he had told him, you must prepare your soul for death. And that is what happened. Once he'd received the body and blood of Christ, the man just dropped dead. His soul was carried to heaven by angels, and his body was buried on the island. Father Abbott had said no more to them about it. I did not like to ask him, mused the young monk bitterly, but I wanted to know why my brother had to die. Does not our faith preach forgiveness? It was only a small bridal bit. And then there had been two of them. 
Oh, they'd had many adventures together. And one day they came to a beautiful island, wide and flat, treeless but embroidered with flowers, white and purple. There was a community of holy monks already there. The choir of boys in spotless white, the young men in violet and the elders in purple. The island resounded with the continuous chanting of psalms and they had watched in awe as a, a marvellous, blindingly bright cloud like liquid sun covered the whole land. It was the next day when two violet-clad men had come to them with gifts of grapes, huge and very juicy. The fruit was welcome, of course, their mouths had watered at the scent of it. But what they asked of us was not so welcome, at least to me the young monk remembered. They were to take one brother, my friend, to go with them. He apparently had been chosen by God to be part of this holy community. And Brendan had let him go, told him that this was his sacred destiny. They bade him farewell and watched him wonder as he was carried away. His companion spoke in hushed tones of his special favour. But the young monk sighed to himself. Why should I not be bitter at his loss? He was my friend, my brother. Yes, he'd been one of three, and now he was alone. Now he could no longer avoid recalling the words of Father Abbot, ignored before they'd left dry land. Only one of them would make a good end on this voyage, and one of the three would be buried in hell. He thought about his two companions. One had turned out to be a thief and had died for his crime, but he had died repentant and been carried to heaven. The other had been greatly favoured by God and allowed to join the Anchorite community. What fate did that leave for him? The young monk turned back to the sea. The island was much closer now, and it looked forbidding indeed. The massive cliffs were night black and so high, their tops were hidden. The island's central mountain loomed darkly. At its peak, a plume of smoke shot into the sky. It, it was a terrifying sight, and yet the young man could, just couldn't pull his eyes away. Was this truly the place of his fate? He struggled with the thought and realised that he was holding his breath. Carefully he forced himself to calmness. He knew that he was a sinner. The monks were taught that all men were sinners. Yet he had not committed any terrible crime. He was not a murderer. Surely Father Abbot would save him. He trusted the man of God. The island grew closer. Now he could see little waves lapping on the black sand at the foot of the cliff wall. Yes, Father Abbot would save him. So we'll hear about what happens to this poor monk later on in the episode. Scary. Yeah. Well, look, we've covered all the official in, Ram in Ramana, haven't we? We have. Well, the ones that still exist, anyway. Oh, yeah. The, the, the tail list. This one isn't on the tail list. I first encountered those tail lists many years ago in Celtic Heritage. Yeah, by Owen and Brinsley Reese. It's always one of my favourite books. It's, it is a still a really good source. Storyteller's book. Handbook, that. Yeah. 
And obviously, as a storyteller, I was fascinated by the types of tale and the mm. list of tale. And for instance, the what five times five primary stories and twice fifty secondary yeah. stories and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, well, what a lot of these is referring to uh, can be found in a text uh, such as Denevthachad Philid, which means of the qualification of poets. And it is essentially a list of the stories that you need to know in order to be a fully qualified poet. It's what goes into the exams. It's yeah, this, it's it? the, the curriculum. Exams, yeah, yeah, exactly. And yes, it does say there are five times 50, let's say, first stories mm. and twice 50 second stories. Now, it's a bit confusing for us because they're usually translated or rendered as primary and secondary. But in fact, the first stories are the ones that you learn first. And the second stories are the ones that only the highest four grades of filler are allowed to tell or that they study. And some of the types of stories are really quite interesting. I love the way they're grouped. Exactly, yeah, and, and they'll be quite familiar by now, we hope, to a lot of our listeners. Some of the types are things such as Tana, which are the cattle raids, mm -hmm. Imrava, which is what we're dealing with in this series, um, and Echtra, yeah, adventures. adventures. But there's, there's a whole um, category which is called Caves, and that it's really called conflagration. Yes, there is. Yes, yes. <laughs> so you know they, they are really nice, but they they do also list a lot of titles of tales, and we can identify what a lot of these are. But there are so many lost to us. Oh, this, some of the titles. Are I so, know they're so enticing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like you know when we were dealing with Mither and yeah. Amy, wouldn't you like to know the tale of uh, the exile of Breleth? Oh yeah, yeah. Because we've always talked about why Breleth is a lost site. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing there, and yet they obviously was so important for yeah. stories at one point. Yeah, well, naturally, most scholars reckon that, you know, when the Keen Drummersnechte turns up, and I would remind uh, Dr. Heather to go and find the TARDIS so that she can do it, we hope that we can fill this out more. But the tale list that we have, they also don't include this tale, which is, in many ways, the best known of the voyage stories, the voyage of St. Brendan. One of the best versions is a Latin text. Mm. The Navigatio Sancti Brendani Abatis, if my pronunciation is reasonable. Well, I can't uh, comment on it since I never studied Latin. This is the text that we're working from. It was translated into English from Latin by uh, Dennis O'Donoghue in 1895. Well, in many ways, the Voyage of St. Brendan is perhaps the most popular or the most familiar of a lot of these voyage tales. I mean, there's versions of it in my readers in school. There's also a mass, uh, well, a lovely uh, mural in Tralee down in County Kerry, which shows, you know, the Brendan voyage with a great big whale in the middle of it. Yeah, it's always, he's a popular saint. Yeah. Oh, yeah, day. he's one of the big four, I think. No, I mean, there are a lot of versions of this story. Mm. I know, and also they get, out of Ireland. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's Dutch versions. There's the Dutch one, probably from the High German, goes mm. into the English version. Mm. Um, in fact, there's over a 100 different versions by the 12th century alone. Yeah, and it has this great international spread, of course. But there's also there's a Middle Irish version, which I was having a look at. Now, it doesn't sort of feel complete. And I'll come back and, and mention that later on when we're mm. talking about it. But, I mean, this text is completely Christian. It is, yeah. And, I mean, even the fact that it is written in Latin. Yeah. And, um, Makes it tough, my Latin. Well, it's, it's better than mine. <laughs> the other thing about Brendan is that um, there have been quite a lot of suggestion, suggestions of sort of historicity. Mm. I mean, we've talked before about Tim Severin and yeah. the, the Brendan voyage. Yeah. You know, so he, I know he set out to prove that Sir Brendan could have gone to America or the New World anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I'm not sure I think that, it is, that this is a direct report of a journey to America. No, I mean, what, what Severin did was, you know, show that it was possible. Uh, but I think that what this Voyager Brennan does have is a great deal of intertextuality. Oh, yeah. And I think that it, it, the fact that we are now looking at it in the context of the sort of official Imrov tales, I think it sheds sort of a new light on it. Yeah. We might as well begin the voyage then. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit convoluted the way it begins. (laughs) It all starts when Abbott Brendan hears the story of a story. Yeah. I mean, Brinsus visits Brendan and his 3,000 monk. He's got more than Colin Gill, I think. Well, he's certainly got a well-established community, let's put it that way. But anyway, when Brinsus turns up, he tells a story about how his protege, uh, what's his name, Murnog. Murnog, yeah. Now, I find the name kind of curious. It could just be a sort of a, a fond form, and you often find monks with fond forms, so sort of dear little one or dear one. But there, dear little son. Yeah, yeah. but the, there is an implication in there that the Mur or the Murn part could mean of the sea. So, but it's his, his beloved, his little one. Well, anyway, this protege has gone off to be a solitary on an island that could easily be Skellig Michael. Yeah. I mean, the description just kind of fits. Mm-hmm. I'll read what it says. As we sailed unto the island, the brethren came forth from their cells towards us like a swarm of bees, for they dwelt apart from each other, although their intercourse was of one accord, well grounded in faith, hope and charity, one refectory, one church for all, wherein to discharge the divine offices. No food was served but fruit and nuts, roots and vegetables of other kinds. Mm-hmm. It does sound like Skellig, doesn't it? It does. It certainly is a good description of, you know, the, the monastic community of the time. I, I like the way it says they came down like a swarm of bees. Because you've got the beehive hut. Exactly. So that must have Just... already occurred to them. And the other thing on Skellig, there is a place right at the top where mm. there's a little oratory which is so high up it's virtually impossible to get yeah. to, where a solitary monk was able to go and spend his time. Yeah, be completely separated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just sort of fits. Yeah. Also, the garden there. Oh yes, yeah, which is extraordinary. And they could grow all their vegetables, mm. and of course they'd have had fish, wouldn't they? They would, and not only fish, but also puffins, which count as fish for ecclesiastical purposes. <laughs> Well, to get back to uh, Berntus's story, when he goes to see Mernog, um, he takes his, his father confessor, uh, Berntus, on a journey to an island that's off the coast of this monastic island. They go through this dark cloud and then, after about an hour's journey, they end up at this island of the promise of the saints. And, of course, it's all very beautiful and lovely and terribly familiar. Oh, wait a minute. Do you think we ought to give away what Berntus found there. Well, I mean, that's the denouement, the denouement there is what's on this land of promise. And yeah. uh, it's given away right from the beginning. I know, but look, there is no attention in this text paid to dramatic tension and they're always giving away what happens next. Anyways, why should we cover up for that? <laughs> okay. Alright. This is what he finds. Yeah, I'll take it from the text because it's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. When we entered this boat and set sail, clouds overshadowed us on every side, so dense we could scarcely see the prow or the stern of the boat. After the lapse of an hour or so, a great light shone around us, and the land appeared spacious and grassy and bearing all manner of fruits. And when the boat touched the shore, we landed and walked about the island for 15 days, yet could not reach the limits thereof. No plant we saw without its flower, no tree without its fruit, and all the stones were precious gems. Mm -hmm. But on the 15th day, we discovered a river flowing from the west towards the east. And when being at a loss what to do, though we wished to cross over, 
we awaited the direction of the Lord. It's very interesting to have this island that is split in half by this uncrossable river. A bit like the Jordan. It is, or even in the story of Wildoon, when we had that other world island with the fiery stream that they couldn't oh, yeah. get across. Yeah. So you've got rivers you can't get across all the yeah. way through, haven't you? Yeah. And I mean, this is quite a typical description of the other world, but there are no women involved. Well, in fact, there's, there's no people really. It's completely uninhabited. Yeah, yeah. You've got plenty of food. Yes, yeah. You've got health. Yeah, you've got the sort of eternal summer and flowers and fruit all at the same time, all oh, that and stuff. That interesting bit that's managed about, mentioned about the fragrance that stays on his garments. Yes, I know, which I can't help as the thinking is possibly an excuse. Okay, come back. Yeah. Oh, you can smell it. Oh, it's smells lovely. Island. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. it's not perfume. Yeah, no, I haven't just been, yeah, I've been in, in the other world. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. where I've been. That's fragrance of sanctity. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and then, of course, about the only inhabitant they meet is one young man. Yes, there? yes. And they sort of encounter him at this river and they... I want to know who he is, but what he says is, my name is not important. Oh, that's slarty bart for us. Yes. <laughs> he probably does have an embarrassing name like that. Uh, but he sort of goes, go on, ask about the island, ask about the island. Of course, he goes and explains it all before the story's even started. You know, started. we've given too much away already. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Brendan hears about the island yeah. and just goes, ah, I want to go too. Yeah, yeah. Do I detect hints of envy here? Hmm. So let's look at his preparations. Yes, preparations for this great voyage well uh, first of all he picks out his crew um, and he picks 14 from his community doesn't <laughs> yeah. tell us anything in particular about them um, pretty much I think yeah yeah uh, he does what any self-respecting practitioner of extreme monasticism does in order to prepare and that is he gets them all to fast for 40 days that's really going to make them strong isn't it oh yeah yeah mind you it's a three day interval it so is. in other words you fast for three days then you get something to eat probably only bread and water exactly and then you do another three days yeah. he's going to end up with people who are half stuck Given the way that Imrova tend to work out, it probably isn't a bad preparation for what it's going to be like. Um, but yeah, so that's obviously his, his main preparation. And then he goes off to visit a, another friend of his, who's another saint, Saint Enda, uh, who seems to be have his own community again in a little island off the coast. Maybe it could be the Blaskets, somewhere really like that. strange thing to do to me. Yeah. You know, he said goodbye to his monastery. Yeah. He's appointed his successor. Yes, yeah. And then... Instead of going off on the voyage, you go, yeah. now, who else can I tell? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Or, who else can I tell what I'm going to do? Yeah, I yeah. know, let's go and visit another saint. Yeah. Go, Look what I'm going to do. Exactly. Or am I doing him a disfavour? Well, I don't know. He hasn't even built his boat yet. Yeah, <laughs> and then the next thing he does mm. is he chooses not to visit his parents. Yeah. This is particularly said. He's in the neighbourhood yes. where, where his parents live. Yeah. And he absolutely specifically says he chooses not to visit them. And yeah. Instead of which, he goes to sit on the top of Mount Brandon. Yeah. I think it's probably... The it's a bit like Maldoen, yeah. where he starts his all well, his whole journey is about his problem with both his foster parents yeah, and his and biological parents. parents. Yeah. So maybe the text is going to some pains to yeah. Make us aware yeah. but Brenda's voyage is nothing to do with his parentage like Maldon. Exactly. This is only for the glory of God. Yes, and, and I think that there's quite a bit of that going on throughout this text. Um, but what we do get then is a great, a really nice, rich description of building the boat. You know, mm -hmm. well, once he's done the essential preparations, which are things like fasting and going to see your neighbourhood saint, now he's going to build the boat. And it's this wonderful, very... Um, 
let's say accurate description. Yeah, you're familiar with the Well, curve, Mount aren't you? Brandon is down in it's down on the Kirkuina Peninsula, Dingle Peninsula. My old stomping ground, yeah. you know. Just at the foot of Mount Brandon you've got the Maharese, which is a great kind of, you know, seafaring part of the uh, the country and you know that's where I've seen Kuruks in, in every stage of being built they still have uh, races there don't they yeah exactly are they still made in a similar way well yeah exactly what it tells us is that first of all it states they use iron implements which is obviously something that they think is, is worth noting state of the art technology oh yeah best tools for the job and um, that it's a light wicker frame that has got very light timbers mm-hmm. um, uh, for both the keel and the ribs uh, it says that it's covered in hide that's been tanned with oak bark which is of course a great way for, for mm-hmm. tanning leather it's tarred on the joints mm-hmm. um, now nowadays they would tar the entire hull mm-hmm. it's all pitch yeah, so that's what gives it the black sheen yeah. on it um, but it said the, do- the joints were tarred and they brought enough butter to cover all the hides so that was obviously the waterproofing thing you know the, the, to oil the hides and make them yeah. you know water resistant and probably it's still quite flexible and it's interesting that the boats are made in a very similar way to the way they used to oh, be oh yeah. yeah and it's after all it's that very clear description mm. that gave Tim, Tim Severin the, the chance to go you know I could build a boat Absolutely. To this description. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it gives yeah. that sense of that it might be possible to do a journey. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. And of course, as you say, the currents are. Yeah, still, they're still being made still being in, made. in a very similar way. But the, the other thing I think is that, you know, it might seem like extraordinary knowledge to have that much detail about the building mm. of the boat and so on. But I get the sense that the author of this text was, you know, he, he loved the sea. It and and was, the, you know, the familiar. island monks. Exactly, yeah. And, and all the coastal communities, they'd be off out in boats all the time, you know, mm. going to and from various islands, even up the coast to the next community. It could often be the best way yeah. of getting there. So I just feel that the, the author has a great familiarity with seafaring and probably boat building as well, you know. And those extreme skelligs are yeah. not the only group which had monkish communities. Oh, no, you know, pretty much every... The, yeah. There's loads of islands off the Irish coast and you can find religious communities or, or evidence yeah. of them on just about all of them. So maybe we should let him off going to season tender. You know, this well, yeah. is just part of exactly. Yeah. yeah, just calling in on his neighbour. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, then once he's got the boat, mm. something really important happens. Yeah. I think this is particularly important. Mm. That three monks from his community who haven't been chosen yeah just turn up and yeah. go can we come too now these are the three that are in the opening story yeah the late comers as as more than you have, have dubbed them they've been called the late comers and other uh, writers i didn't as well. know that i know yeah it just, yeah. It just yeah. seemed to be the best name for them yeah uh, and uh, brendan allows them to come mm. but he predicts a good outcome for only one of them yeah right from the beginning exactly he says well you know you can come but it's not going to end well except for one of you. There is this implication, though, that when these three uh, turn up, they say, I think you almost quoted it in the opening story, I about, did, yeah. you know, we have sworn to follow you all the days of our lives. But they do say, we will not eat or drink un- until you let us on the boat. Mm-hmm. So they're fasting against him, you yeah. know. Just like Muldoon's brothers did. Well, what Muldoon's brothers did was they went splashing oh, out into the right. bay and they said, we're going to drown, we're going to drown, unless you come back and pick us up. Can't swim, look, can't swim. You know, so again, it's that kind of blackmail, mm-hmm. you know. Although Muldoon fasted against yeah. his foster 
mother to get the, the story of his natural yeah. mother, you know. But that forcing of hands oh, is yeah. in Maldo and it here it is oh, again. Yes, yes. Only now it's taken to a new level. In narrative terms, you could say that it's their turning up that reveals their fate or seals their fate. Although within the kind of ideology of the text, I would say, you know, the fate's already there. The lot of them finally get off to sea and row out into the great beyond. But after 12 days, they are completely becalmed. And this is what we would expect since we're treating it as an Imrov, you know. Um, and it's at this point they get lost. They're wafted by the wind in divers directions. Um, <laughs> until, diverse directions. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in other words, that's the problem. They only go up and down. Up and down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, <laughs> exactly, that's yeah. not fair. They're completely just... Yeah, whoop, they're whoop, amazed. They're lost in the wilderness now. And they commit themselves to God. Exactly. And what I want to know is mm. if they've gone 12 days, Yes. Where uh, we found out earlier from Mernock, mm. he just went, what was yeah, it, Yeah, just off? a short hop, yeah, 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 yeah. And yet they're already 12 days. I know, so yeah. So something's wrong. That's the diverse directions. Yeah. So... Uh... <laughs> I know. It is an Imrod. It, it completely is. They're becalmed. They give themselves up to the, the will of God. And they so put up their oars. Exactly. And just let themselves be yeah. floating around. Yeah. Now, what, one thing that did occur to me is that I wondered whether it sort of can't be classed as an Imrod because it's part of a hagiography part of a hagiographical like tradition. Of exactly. So that to put it in the same category as things that are clearly mythological and legendary like Maeldun and even Snagus and MacGregor mm -hmm. and so on, you know, um, that those are kind of maybe recognised as somewhat right. fictional creations. Whereas this if it's is about a true. It is. Everyone you know, it. it has to be, mm. you know, beyond reproach and it has to be beyond doubt as well. I see your point. So, so if it's part of a hagiography, yeah, it, can't it can't be, be a, a, can't be a tale type. Hero. It can't yeah. be a tale type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I see what you mean. Yeah. It's, it's just a thought. I, yeah, there's probably plenty thought. of counter-examples for that, but, you know. Well, it's a good thought. Mm. All I know is they do another 40 days wandering. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 40 days just floating around. Exactly. Until they come to the island of the fine hound yes now again there's a great description of how this island has these great sheer cliffs sheer rocky cliffs all around it um and the island seems unapproachable it even says that they are going around the island for three days before they can find a suitable landing place now, again it's interesting we were talking about all the rocky islands mm. of the west coast oh, where yeah. these monastic Settlements, settlements, yeah, yeah. Are. And all of them are extremely rocky oh, and yeah. quite difficult islands. Yeah, yeah. For instance, uh, the one that uh, I put up on the blog yeah. a little while ago, the Skelligs. Yeah. You're lucky if you can land there. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I put two journeys, one of which landed, one of which didn't. Yeah, yeah. So your chances of landing are probably only 50 50. Yeah, and yeah. in wintertime, probably zero zero. zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it may be, you know, more about the tides and the weather that it takes them three days before they can actually put in. But at any rate, when they do find the landing place, um, there to meet them on the shore is a dog. And the crew seem to be slightly sinophobic. They're worried that this dog might attack them. It's a big friendly dog. It is. And Brendan identifies him as such. It's Brendan who goes, oh, no, this is clearly a messenger sent from God. And so we should... And it has this thing about when Brendan gets off the boat that the dog goes up and greets him the way that a dog would its I mean, master. you met one of those once. I mean, I don't yeah. think a messenger sent no, from God. Well, no, but it was... <laughs> I mean, a dog. Yeah, yeah, I've met a few dogs. But no, when I went to see the... Um, the monastic site at Riesk, which is not far away from there. It's yeah. around the same place, Galler's Oratory, and even there's a Chock Brendan just behind Kilmacather Church. 
yard there. This is old Dingle Peninsula. But yeah, got out of the car um, and this beautiful brown and white um, collie, like border collie type, uh, came bounding up. I think he had one blue eye as well. It was this lovely dog. Came bounding up and sort of, hello, 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 hello. And then just sort of walked us around the site, mm -hmm. you know, sort of went, and now, you go over here. From God. and now you go over here. <laughs> but just as we were leaving, a bus tour came up. So it was like, oh, sorry, got a dash. <laughs> got to take this tour Bobby around. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah. So I met a friendly dog as well at a, at a monastic site. I don't think he was, he might have been sent by dog, but not by God. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so they meet this dog and Brendan says it's a messenger and so they follow it and it brings them to this wonderful large hall which is, you know, finely decorated and richly appointed with couches for all of them and, of course, a big table all spread Full with food. food. Yum, 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 yum. And, you know, uh, lots of water or whatever they're having themselves to to quench them. Um, but also all along the walls is arrayed all, all this finery, all these stuff made of precious metals, vessels and bridal bits and inlaid horns. And they're all going, oh, nice. Yeah, Just shiny, shiny. shiny. Story. I can't imagine that they're not thinking, well, surely these are meant to be gifts of God. Yes, yes, exactly. Brendan's <laughs> got something else to say as usual. He actually warns them that one of the latecomers, mm. he, he's very specific, yeah. he warns them that one of the latecomers will give in to temptation mm. and steal something. Yeah. And he talks about how it will mar their holy journey with yeah. the sin of theft, uh, to which, of course, they cry, Oh, God, God forbid, it won't be me, it won't yeah, be me. Exactly, exactly. So he says, all right, and please take them yeah. to eat. Yeah, and they, they are fed there for three days, and, and I would imagine three nights they, they are put up there. But Brendan actually seems to see one of the monks, the one he expects yeah. to steal a bridal bit, does take a bridal yeah. bit. He doesn't try and stop the monk no. or say, have you done something you shouldn't? Yeah. Or um, is there anything you want to tell me about? Yeah, yeah. Or, are you sure you want to keep? That. Yeah, and uh, he's a bit like a store detective. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. waits till the monk is out of the hall. Yeah, well, out the off the island. Yeah, off the island, so that the theft is actual. Yeah, exactly. So and that's he, been removed from the premises. Yeah, you could have given him a bit of warning. Yeah, you could have sort of at least, but he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. And now it says that uh, while he prays, he sees this black boy, this, this imp, this, this strange this demon, demon that has been, and it turns yeah. out he's been possessing the monk, as you said in the story, for seven years. But once he's on the boat, mm. yeah, then suddenly. He exercises the demon. Yeah. It still doesn't really help because he said, well, you better prepare yourself for death now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the monk probably dies. Yeah. I'm curious about what the cause of death is and why does Brendan know so much about it beforehand? They see him taken up to Hems and yeah. they know he's okay and then they bury his body on the island yes. and they leave. Yeah. And just as they're sort of leaving for the second time, as it were, um, then uh, an inhabitant appears. They don't seem to have seen any other human presence uh, on the island, but this young lad comes down and he's got a great big basket and it's got bread and water and he says that this will keep them provisioned until Pentecost. Which, mm. Yes, which, uh, sort of end of May, beginning oh, of June, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah, as you told me. Which, 40 days after Easter. Yeah, you see, I don't know anything. Like it's the coming of the, uh, the Holy Spirit to the disciples. Okay, but provided that they eat every second day. Yeah, so, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be made easy for them. No, of course You know, not. it's interesting. The other journeys, they mm. would often go three days and yeah. then they're getting really hungry. Yeah. They find an island. These are tough guy monks. Yeah, they're pretty hardcore, all right, yeah. Now, I'm really worried about mm. the, the attitude taken to this latecomer. Yeah. But we'll leave that to later yeah. because, you know, this is on a different level altogether. Yeah. But the island itself, mm. it's very much like the island of the cat, isn't it? It is. In Wild Dune, I mean, you've got this hall with the feast laid out, which is there to be taken and all of these treasures which must be left but you don't get the cute little cat who you know sort of pauses from in his leaping from pillar to pillar to look over his shoulder at that whale doing and go nah 
and then keep on playing, yeah. you know. Brother, I mean, one of the brothers still dies. Yeah, exactly. And he's and he dies <laughs> as a sort of a response to his crime of theft. Yeah, but but this doesn't have any of the good special effects, really. You no. know, in that way. And then the other thing is the dog is is like the opposite of the happy beast. Yeah, exactly. That when they that that sort of the hound footed horse that's sometimes described as, um, in Whale Dune, the crew go, oh look, there's a nice happy beast. Look, it's really happy to see us. And in Whale Dune goes, no, it's no, dangerous. No, it's eat it wants to eat us. <laughs> Whereas here the crew are afraid oh, of the scary, dog scary dog yeah and um, whereas Brenda recognises it as friendly as benign mm. you know, there's so, one more thing mm. there's absolutely no sense of suspense <laughs> we're told what's going to happen and then, then it happens well that's saints for you <laughs> you know Island 2, the island of the big sheep. They arrive on an island replete with fishful rivers and all the things you'd expect on one of these islands. Yeah, now it's coming up to the Easter festival. They're on about Holy Thursday by now, which they call like the Feast of the Lord's Supper, basically. Mm -hmm. Now, on this island, there are flocks of large white sheep. Mm. And, of course, because the the Paschal Lamb, they go to take one of these sheep. This is one of the times of year when the the monks would eat a feast of meat. Absolutely, yeah. Not on Good Friday. Yeah, yeah. Well, on Good Friday. Eve. And a shepherd turns up to object that they're stealing the labour of his hands. Well, I'm not sure. It's, you it's have a different reading to yeah, this, Yeah, and I wonder whether the double reading is, is deliberate. I think he, you're probably right. He actually. says something to the effect of, who am I to deserve that one such as you should come and take that which my hands have made? Do you know what I mean? Which he does say stealing the labour of his hands. Well, or taking it. I'm, yeah. Again, you take know. Take the labour of his hands. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I've just... But you see, as, as you pointed out, we've only just come from a, a, an island where the whole theme was around the sin of theft. You know? And there's Brendan yeah. taking a, a, a taking sheep. Taking a sheep. Actually doesn't belong to it. One way or another, anyway, um, this shepherd or this sheep man, he will provide them with the food they need yeah. for their boat once again. And he does explain that the sheep are so big because they're never milked. And, and uh, because it's always summer. It's always summer, yeah. We've met this island before. Oh, we These have. are sort of all these, they're like islands you meet on the way, which are all variants of the yeah. of the, the, the Happy Isles or the Blessed yeah, Isles, yeah, the Isle yeah. of Promise. But there seem to be, again, them. there seem to be loads which have fishful rivers. There seem to be loads which have, you know, these sort of Big oversized and particularly livestock, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they're not gigantic, though. They're not monstrous, yeah. as we had in Mile Dune. These are just kind of, you know, big they say big as an ox. Yeah. You know, big as an ox. So, not kind of completely beyond conception, you know, just kind of like your prize marrow, basically. You know? <laughs> okay, we now come to island, the island of Iasconius. Yes. Now, this is one where just after they've left the sheep, um, it's on to kind of Good Friday into Holy Saturday now. Um, and they find another island on which to land. Brendan is a bit concerned about this because uh, there's really not very much wood or um, plant life. He has misgivings, but he keeps it to himself, and it does say that he he doesn't say anything about it. They disembark off the boat and they light their campfire and start cooking their meal for the evening. The island starts to shift around, says it moves like a wave, that it undulates, um, and the months are completely freaked out and they leg it back into the boat um, and just as they get back to their boat the island starts moving away at high speed and eventually they can see their little cooking fire two miles off <laughs> and now it's themselves the actually sea. 
that was a fish. Exactly. <laughs> this is the famous whale. Um, and Brendan seems to have known us all along, or at least suspected yeah. it. Oh, well, I didn't tell you that this was a great fish. Yeah, yeah exactly. We, one version calls it a whale, certainly. Yeah, but yeah. not our version. Mm -hmm. It calls it a great fish. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what interests me is something I've actually only noticed while we're talking mm -hmm. about it now. It's Good Friday. Exactly, yeah. Now, why are they cooking meat? Yeah. It particularly says yeah, yeah. they are cooking uncooked meat. Yeah, yeah. Maybe this is why the fish goes no way yeah. and gets up and... Was, you know, legs but what yeah. is Brendan doing? Allowing them to cook meat on I the know, Friday. I know. That is really surprising yeah, here. Yeah. And a fish island sinks into the sea. It does, yeah. Well, what is interesting mm. is that this is the one island that's specific to this tale. It is particular to Brendan and it comes up through pretty much all the versions, I would say. Um, like the Middle Irish version that I was talking about, uh, edited by Ternoisen. Um, In that, the whale pops up, you know, just the night before Easter Sunday so that they can celebrate the Easter feast um, and then comes back every year well, to allow them to do it. We'll talk about it later, yeah. but there aren't many islands. No. So it's almost like you've got to celebrate Easter on Exactly, Island. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the one thing. Yeah. This Because there are no islands that the whale sort of provides it, you know? Brendan, he's still acting as this sort of know-it-all. Yeah. And it really destroys the tension. Yeah. If he can get information with God from God whenever he wants to, yeah, yeah. it's no personal journey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it really does affect the text, doesn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. Yeah, it does. And of course, it's, it's it's straight from God that he gets that the fish's name is Eosconius, which to me is just a, a Latinization of the term Eosk, which it's is just the fish. Irish for fish. So now we come to the island of the fountain and angelic birds, yes. another quite familiar island. Oh, yeah. So they travel along very close to the island of the mm. sheep and come to a nearby island across a narrow sound. Well, it's the usual. It's green, yeah. flowery, and they have to tow the boat up a narrow rivulet a mile inland. Yes. Now, I like this bit. Yeah. Brendan sits on the boat and is towed. Yes. <laughs> But anyway, they find a wonderful fountain mm. and Brendan says, oh, let's stay here for Easter. Yeah. The problem is there's loads of birds and Brendan gets himself in a right state because yeah. he can't understand what yeah, they're saying. Yeah, yeah. He sort of begs God, I really need to know what these yeah. birds are talking about. Yeah. He's practically in tears. It is, yeah. It says that, you know, he's in tears with frustration with wanting to know what the message is. Eventually, one of the birds comes and settles in front of him and starts talking in a language that he can understand. One would assume through the grace of God. And uh, this bird starts explaining to St. Brendan who they are and why they're there. And what he says is that they... Tweet, tweet, tweet. Yes, he sends him a tweet. Um, but in more, in more than 146 characters, or however many it is, he says that they used to be angels in heaven and that they kind of got caught in the crossfire of the fall of Lucifer. Yeah. That uh, basically they weren't long around and then there was this whole hoo-ha up in heaven and a load of them kind of fell off the cloud um, but that these birds are the souls of or the angels who weren't necessarily on one side or the other they were neutral they're neutral angels yeah. yeah so rather than you know just falling all the way down with Lucifer and, and being punished eternally in hell they're allowed to kind of stay in the middle uh, yeah, on yeah. earth and it says that on special occasions that they can take the form of birds so that they can sing the praise of God in endless psalms this bird covered singing tree yeah. is so familiar. It's not just in the Imrov. Mm. It turns up in so many Irish stories, and even in Welsh yeah. stories. For instance, one of my favourites, The Lady of the Fountain. Mm. And the other thing is that this is a familiar story um, that was told quite a lot in Ireland and actually on the continent mm. as well, that what do you do about the fallen angels who didn't sin? Yes. And they end up on earth, and mm. they're often considered to be the origin of the fairies. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this again, they're it's birds. A, yeah. 
Yeah. There's these winged spirits who mm. can also speak. Exactly. And they're so familiar, they come up again and again, particularly in Aramrova, but all over the Irish stories. Now, it's not just about the, the past that these birds talk about. They also go on to prophesy, as you might expect. Um, that um so far, Brendan and his company have been travelling around the seas for a year that it's going to be another six years before they finally reach their land of promise. They should have taken Murdoch with them. Yeah, exactly. That would have been much quicker. But the bird does say that every Easter they can come back and celebrate Easter on this island with all of the birds and, and all the psalms. does that, there is an interlude of psalm singing. It goes on forever. Oh, it really does. And it's, uh, you know, every psalm is titled or, you know, referenced within the text and exactly kind of how many times they sang it and when and so on. It's a very detailed list. Please go and look it up for yourself. Yeah, well, you, you said to me you think there may be a, a specific... I, I, yeah, I think there, there might be a good rationale for this, but we will come back to that yeah. later on. And, of course, after Easter, mm. then we get to Brenda says now you can drink from the fountain yes yeah. um, up till now they've only washed their hands and feet in it yeah they yeah. only washed their hands and feet well at least they are being encouraged to wash um, I mean in fact I was having a look at a text which is referred to as the monk's rules of Columbanus it talks about how there are penalties for uncovering your knees while you're washing <laughs> or for washing standing up unless it's for the easier removal of dirt um, it's also punishing for a monk to wash on his own he has to do it in company so you Sorry. know I'm sure there are good reasons are for good. all I think there are all these. there are yeah. fairly obvious reasons yes yes but yeah I, I will see if I can post up the translation it's text really fun it is but it, it's very interesting to read just from the point yeah. of view of you know traditions within Christianity and we and, shouldn't make fun of it because it was yeah. taken extremely seriously. Of course, yeah, yeah. It does make for an interesting read and it does give you a sense yeah. of, you know, the the real extreme no, harshness a, of monastic life. Yeah, you know, they're very serious. In some ways. Yeah. It's still funny. It is, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, now they still need food, don't they? So the shepherd arrives mm. and he's bringing food but he says um, be careful how you drink this water mm. because it'll send you to sleep for 24 hours. Yes, yeah, yeah. They remain with the birds on this island right up until the end of Pentecost. Yeah, eight days. Yes, yeah. it's another eight days. So they're, they're hanging out there and obviously it's a, it's a nice place to be. Um, but before they set off again, there's yet another spiel of prophecy. Yeah, again. Yes. The birds give the whole story away in advance. It's, again! Exactly. And some of it is the same as they gave yeah. away before. Well, they, again. No, what they tell them this time is not only where they're going to spend Easter, yeah. now they give away where they're going to spend Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, very important. It's Christmas. Yes. And it's off to the island of the Silent Order. Yes. I, I mean, it, it says they get tossed around for three months, mm. but... They, they, they leave at Pentecost. Yeah. They leave the island of the bird at Pentecost. Yeah. And three months later it's Christmas. So. Yeah, and that that's sort of... There are six months, but, you know, I don't think it really... Even with the 40 days trying to find where yeah. to land on the island. Yeah. And, I mean, when they do, they find two fountains. Yeah. One is muddy and one is drinkable. It's, it's clean water, but yeah. Brendan still says, no, 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 you don't touch it unless we've asked. Yeah. Except for sheep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, again, it seems to be this thing with the particularly well water that he has now have to ask permission first. I suppose it seems polite. Then they meet this really extremely old man who does seem to be wearing clothes this time. Yeah, the abbot of the order, they call him St. Alva. And Alva explains that this is a very holy place and nobody speaks here. We're a completely silent order. Yes. 
or something like that. Yeah. Well, Mind you, he talks. He does. And, of course, they, there's endless singing of psalms, as you might expect. So it seems to be that, you know, the order can use their voices to praise God. Uh, and but, he can talk over dinner. Yeah, the abbot talks over dinner. But he also seems to be allowed to explain things to tourists. There's two fountains. They get permission to use them, don't yes, they? Yes, yeah. With one for drinking, the sort of clean water for drinking, and the other one seems to be warm. So that's where that's they go and... washing. Exactly, that's where they go and wash. And the other interesting thing is that these monks, you know, they sit down and have dinner, mm. but the, the they have no idea where their food comes from. Yeah. They don't cook it. They no. don't, it just arrives. It just appears. Well, yeah, exactly. And extra food on feast days. I suspect it's only bread and water. Well, yeah, yeah. But it does mention specifically that one of those feast days is the Feast of St. Patrick. And given the number of holy feasts and things that have been mentioned, it's not, we don't hear about St. Patrick as much as you might no, expect. No, it, this is the first text in which he's actually mentioned. Exactly. And will yeah. be again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I do like the details mm. with which the church building are described. Oh, yeah. Because the whole pattern of the... Uh, uh, and rituals of the, mm. of the place are described by the abbot. But yeah. the, the, the detail of the church building, it says, St. Brendan took heed of the structure of the church. It was a perfect square of equal length and breadth, and in it were seven lamps so arranged that three of them hung before the central altar. Mm. Um, the altars were of crystal, and the chalices, patterns, and cruets were also of crystal. Yes, Kind yes. of blingy. Oh, God, yes, sparkly, sparkly. And it struck me that the design... It's very Roman, that sense of divine proportions. Yeah, it's almost like the sort of basilica layout, you know, this sort of very square mm. setup. Mm. Um, and uh, the squareness is specifically mentioned. Absolutely, yeah. So, and, and that's not the kind of architecture you find here. So, obviously, to an Irish audience, it's very well, exotic. Then, yeah, it's another Isles of the Blessed Eye mm. because they never experience illness, yeah. old age, or discomfort from heat and cold. That's specifically mentioned. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they've been there for 80 years. Yeah, getting any older. One of the things that the abbot tells them about over dinner is that he explains, and I would point out, verbally explains how they manage in the order without ever uttering a word. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting he should have to do it with, with sign, sign language. language. Exactly. And he does say that usually they use sign language, but that the junior monks aren't even allowed to do that. It's only the senior ones who can communicate with sign language. So it's incredibly austere. But yeah, it's somewhat undermined by the huge amount of reported speech. <laughs> yeah, I keep getting that you've got to get off my juniper bushes. Yeah. <laughs> St. Brenda says, how do you manage here without talking? Yeah. Well, you do. Oops, now you've, now you've made me talk. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> the sound of a human voice has not been heard yeah. in the 80 years since we've been here, yeah. he says, speaking. Yeah. And then, of course, the abbot, uh, St. Alva, takes Brendan off to look at the real miracle of oh, the place. Oh, yes, yeah. The, they don't even have to light their own lamps. Yes. Every evening as it gets dark, the the uh, all the lamps in the church are lit by fiery arrows. Yeah, yeah, which is a great special effect. Yeah. yeah. But while they're watching this, um, Brendan asks the abbot, well, you know, how, how does that work? You know, and um, the abbot says, well, do you remember reading about Moses and the miracle of the burning bush, which would burn and never die? And uh, Brendan goes, yeah, I've read it. What's that got to do with this? <laughs> And that's it. That's it, yeah. The abbot then realises no point trying to actually explain any more to this guy. He's just not going to get it.
Well, they're invited to stay for Christmas. Yeah. Actually, St. Brendan's really knocked out by this place. Oh, yeah. And says, uh, you know, this would be a really nice place to stay. Yeah. And they said, no, 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 you can stay for Christmas. But after that, you have to go. Yes. It yes. is not here that your destiny will be fulfilled. Exactly, yeah. That's a great way to get rid of visitors, isn't it? Unwelcome guests, yeah, yeah. No, you can't stay here. You might die, and then your resurrection wouldn't be in the right place. So, yeah, next bye. time you've got a, re a relative you don't want, go, no, oh, yeah. you have to leave in case you die. Yes. <laughs> Your resurrection is not in this place. Yeah. I do think it's interesting that in this we again have this theme of asking permission for well water. Um, and as you said, you know, Brendan wasn't going to ask permission to take sheep to you know to, or land to eat on Easter Sunday. Again. No, but it's true, he doesn't ask permission. But yet here's this sort of natural phenomenon one would imagine of of a spring. And he says, no, you can't take it without permission. And we had that in the Ikora. Or it wasn't, it was Snegasa Makriagra, wasn't it? I think so. But yeah. you also got the taking stones off the beach in the Exactly, Ikora. yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, uh, again, there was this kind of paradox about, well, if you take stones, then you'll regret it, and the people who didn't will also regret it. So, um, but... Well water particularly seems to be This is important in this one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, as we'll see in a minute, the well water does have particular properties. Exactly, yeah, it yeah. It more than once. Yeah, but it also, there's a lot of description here about, you know, how much food they get, which is not very much, um, and that they get a little extra on feast days and so on. But it's, again, this thing that the less you eat, the holier you are and of course silence is another form of abstinence yeah, yeah. i do know. get the feeling that they get better food here that might be where the monks are going oh can we stay yeah yeah you've got better <laughs> food oh you don't have to cook it exactly yeah wow, we don't even have to fill the lamps yeah that's amazing exactly Let's stay. yeah yeah all they have to do is pray and you know everything will be done for them the next island is unsurprisingly the island of sleep yes um, and now after they've been sent off um, to fulfil their destiny, as St Alva said, they wander around the ocean until the beginning of Lent. And then they spy an island that uh, looks nice, so they pull in and it's, you know, pleasant and has fish, all the normal stuff. fishful, fishful streams and, you know, the usual. Vegetable, vegetable ground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that doesn't quite work. No. <laughs> Um, loads of vegetables yes, love the yeah. green stuff and fish yes exactly um, but they land at the beginning of Lent and uh, they've been getting quite hungry and thirsty and so but Brendan warns them not to overdo it on the well water but not all the monks listen to him some of them drink as much as three whole <gasps> cups of water and lo and behold they all kind of fall asleep and they sleep for either one two or three days depending, depending on, on how many cups. cups of water exactly exactly and when they finally all wake up again Brendan just takes <laughs> them off and says I told you so you wouldn't listen yeah but he takes them off for indulgence yes exactly you know, how three dare you whole... drink this much water? I know, three whole cups of it. And then reminds him to take loads of vegetables. Of course, yes, yes. Come on, fill the ship. You know, there's lots of good uh, leafy greens here. But um, it seems as though, you know, yeah, even three cups of water is an indulgence. But maybe this is related to it being Lent. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that... that in, in Lent, even, uh, even, even too water, much water. Too much water is an indulgence. Exactly. It's a time for absolutely super abstinence. Yeah, yeah. But what is interesting is there is this reference to 
vegetables and yes. this happens several islands it does they're always going on about vegetables mm, in this text mm. and the importance of taking vegetables exactly, with yeah. you. it's almost as though it's, it's created by real people mm. real monks who yeah. knew what you actually needed exactly yeah and the, the gardens at Skellig yeah, and yeah. so forth show that they were growing exactly a lot of vegetables. yeah yeah so they, they knew that to be self-sufficient and to, to last yeah. they needed a balanced diet and um, what follows is um, an interlude yes <laughs> well they're becalmed for three days which doesn't seem right very much after mm. this constant 40 days yeah now, yeah yeah and which the sea seems absolutely curdled yeah so they give up put up their oars and wait to see what happens yeah wait to see what god will do i kind of wonder about this whether there's this idea that sometimes in monastic life it can be a bit like rowing through treacle you <laughs> it's know. Like an ordinary life i know yeah <laughs> we now have a return to the island of sheep and uh, the angelic birds. Yes, well, that must mean that it's Easter. <laughs> it is. How time flies when you're having fun. Oh, yeah. And their shepherd guide meets them again. Now, yes. I keep wondering about this shepherd. Mm. With all these, shall we say, if this is a parable of monastic life, mm. that you've got a lot of good shepherds. Oh, yeah. You know, this, maybe you were right about the reading that he's actually saying, the labour of my hands yes. is this sheep for Easter. Exactly, So yeah. you've got this another, you know, biblical reference oh, yeah. to the good shepherd. Yeah. Uh, but... <sighs> I suppose if we get this sorted out. Yes. So every year they meet up on the Sheep Island. Yes. And that's Holy That's Holy Thursday. Holy Thursday into Good Friday. I'm, I'm assuming that uh, the fe the feast days are started at the sort of the evening before. You yeah. know, so the feast of of the Lord's Supper starts evening Holy Thursday into Good Friday. Yeah, and then Good Friday to Holy Saturday they spend on Yasconius. Yes, the on the big fish. Yes, yeah. and again, if if it's Good Friday, you tend to have fish on Fridays. Yeah, anyway. I mean, yeah, fish on Fridays. Yeah. So Good Friday. Yeah. Spending the day on a fish is an extra big fish. Yeah. It's kind of significant, really. Yeah, yeah. And of course, this particular year, the second year, they find the cauldron they left last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to prove. Oh, look, that's where we made our camp last year. And then they cross over to the island birds mm. for a sort of easter ecstatic psalm festival yes. <laughs> yeah 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 for easter sunday and right the way through the easter the post-easter festival till pentecost and oddly enough with pentecost being the mm. holy spirit comes down and uh, lights up flames of fire on all these <laughs> apostles heads mm. and then they go out into the world yeah, with yeah. confidence to do their preaching so yeah. i suppose yes they should leave and go out into the unknown world yeah and pentecost yeah it kind of makes sense in terms of this parable of the year yeah. the monastic yeah. year so the next uh, section, I suppose, we could describe as a whale of a time. Well, yes. <laughs> this is after they have set off from their angelic paradise of the birds. Um, another 40 days. And then something really scary and wondrous happens. This great sea monster, which again, seems to be another whale, um, appears... Well, described as a spouting fish. Exactly, yeah. And I don't know what other spouting fish you'd have other than a whale. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So, unless it's a really, really big dolphin. But, um, <laughs> so this great spouting fish is making for the boat and the boat is almost swamped and the monks are all terrified and they're asking Brendan to save us, save us. Brendan prays to God. Lo and behold, another sea monster comes from the west but this one is spouting flame out of its mouth and it defeats the evil spouting fish chops it into three bits and you know throws it away and everyone is happy and saved hooray <laughs> sounds like a whaler it does it really doesn't yeah well they've got into a time loop yeah and they've seen a modern whaler exactly and, uh, with, a, with an engine and yeah and a flame thrower on the front yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> does seem to describe a whale hunt all right you mm. know well anyway they they travel on and, and then they find it's a nice green island yeah but when they get there part of the whale 
the, the hind part of his mm. head, the tail, I yeah. suppose, has been washed up on the shore. Yeah. And Brendan tells them to strip and dry it. So yeah, yeah. Food. And um, he comments, which is, he actually makes a joke here. Oh, gosh. He says that what sought to devour them has now become your food. Yeah. So basically, it wants to eat us, but now we're eating him. <laughs> what, they disagree with something they ate? Yes. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Whale meat again. Oh, thank you. <laughs> But actually, this has been um, one of the episodes that's mm. been used to establish historicity. Yeah. The fact that this is um, some sort of whale hunt. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not sure, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I think that's notable here is that uh, it mentions that Brendan is a vegetarian. Yeah, it says that although he tells them to strip and, and save all the meat from the whale, that he's not going to eat any. You know, all he eats is, you know, roots and vegetables. Now, here it mentions that being an ordained priest yeah. is a vegetarian, but I mm. don't think it was ever true that ordained priests had to be vegetarian. No, I, th I think this is another um, example of being more abstinent than thou. He doesn't even eat meat, you know, all he does is graze. Right, now we have another quite important island. Yeah. This one is the island of destiny yes this is where um brendan says that one of the other late comers will meet his destiny yeah here. this is the other one in the first in the opening story yeah it, this is the good one it's a wide flat island and this is another one of these wonderful ones it's covered in white and purple flowers yeah it's a lovely description and there are three choirs of monks, boys, men and elders. Yes. And the boys are dressed in white, mm. the young men are dressed in violet, mm. and the elders are dressed in purple. So yeah. they're good liturgical colours. Yeah, it, it's another version of the sort of divided island mm. that we've met before as well. And uh, after a, a, a lot, and I mean a lot, <laughs> of psalm singing and chanting, yeah. a blindingly bright light covers the whole island and they hear angelic voices. They still haven't got off mm. the boat at this point. As they come into land, uh, one of the... The, the boy monks approaches them with this great basket full of ginormous purple grapes. They're these wonderful, you know, beautiful fruit. And the boy has come to exchange this fruit for a chosen member of Brendan's crew that they want to come and stay with them. And um, Brendan, you know, has no problem exchanging men for fruit. <laughs> um, and yeah, this is all great. And it's it's the second of the late comers. It's meant to be a huge, you know, a huge sign of favour. Oh, yeah. But one yeah. of them should be allowed be to chosen. stay on this wonderful island. Yeah. They're not even allowed to land. Brendan says it's a good thing and releases an yeah. newcomer. Yeah. Which is why I felt it was a bit tough on the last one. Oh, yeah, yeah. At this stage, you know, every other option has been taken. So the last one, there's only one left for him. And then Brendan sort of comments on the size of the grapes. Oh, yeah. He actually says that he finds that one grape mm. yields a pound weight of juice. Yes, yes. And will feed all the members of the crew for a meal. Exactly. All they get is a drink of grapes. Yes. I suppose it's full of sugar. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, it says the grapes taste like honey. Oh, of course, yeah, rather than, for example, wine. <laughs> oh, grapes. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, I suppose it's a bit like uh, Maldoon's brothers, you mm. know, that we, again, getting the loss of each of them in turn. Exactly, got yeah. to go. Can you imagine that, that the last one going, right, yeah. he died repentant and went yeah. to heaven. Yeah. He's gone and been taken by the anchorites. Yeah. One was to be buried in hell. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, yeah. It's horrific. It is. It's kind of an extended psychological torture, really, isn't it? Yeah, it really upset me, that mm. one. Now, there's an interesting comment here about these wondrous grapes. They're told that they come from the island of the strong man, but we don't hear anything more about that. No, it's that. the only mention there is. It is. And I was wondering about that uh, part in the Ikura when they saw this sort of giant man who was doomed Carrying to collect firewood... firewood. Um, and whether it's just that final, final echo of the Alchemist Dagda 
character you know and now all it, all it is is the name of an island what i do find interesting is that grapes have suddenly replaced apples oh yeah yeah but instead of the apples of health yes. you've now got these grapes yeah which are more associated with communion wine exactly and, so and, and they're sort of more mediterranean and so on you don't have communion cider no <laughs> But then, that's what they should have here. Yeah, yeah, totally. Cider. Yeah, yeah. The traditional fruit of wholeness and healing is mm. the apple. Yeah, but of course, in Western Christianity, the apple is imagined to be the fruit of the tree of knowledge. So, mm. it must have been actually quite blasphemous to have, you know, life-giving apples in a Christian story. It's never a problem in most of these stories. No. It's just this quiet change yeah. that you see, particularly in this one, exactly. where apples are replaced by grapes. Yeah. And of course, as you said before, it's another one of those quartered islands. Yeah. Or but no women this time. No women. So yeah. they've only got three instead of four. Exactly, yeah. They actually reached the island of the giant grapes. Yeah. Now, it's never called the island of the strong man yeah. at all. It just says they reach a tree-covered island and all the trees... Uh, are covered in grapes, mm. giant grapes, which suggests that they're not familiar with grapevines. <laughs> yeah. Grapes well, grow on trees. Yeah, these yeah. do. And this is where you get your fragrance of pomegranate. Yes, yes. And there's six fountains and plenty of veg. So exactly. stay for 40 days. Yeah, why wouldn't you? The next thing that happens is an encounter with the griffin. Yeah. Now, this is very similar to the encounter they had with the great spouting fish, the whale hunt, um, or, you know, the whale battle. Um, in this one, it just says a mon the monster called Griffin appears, and all the monks are afraid. And Brendan prays, and then a giant bird appears and fights with the Griffin, pecks its eyes out, and is vanquished. Hooray! And they don't try to eat the Griffin. No, they don't. But uh, the description in the text is a bit peremptory. You know, all it says is the creature called Griffin. It doesn't give us, you know, doesn't describe what it's like. Just so a monster. this is regarded as mythological, really. Mm. Everybody knows what a Griffin is. Yeah, yeah. What a whale needs describing. Yeah. It's worth describing because it's sort of real. Because it's a real thing, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting that the giant bird here is right next to the island of the grapes. That mm. reminds me of Meldoin. Yeah, where we had the phoenix eagle was associated with those great berries which gave forgetfulness or renewal, you know. So there's still, you can still see that it's derived Exactly, there's still Maldoran. threads, yeah. So now they have um, an interlude. Uh, it, no, it's actually Christmas and Easter, yeah. isn't it? They go to Alva for Christmas, yeah. row around for a bit, and then to the Isle of Birds for Easter. Yes, and via, via the Easconius, of course, the great whalefish. Their next encounter, Encounter 12, is um, Underwater World. Yes, and now this is a description of sailing through a sea that is so calm and so clear that they can see huge shoals of fish swimming all around underneath them. Now... The monks get scared of all these fish and what they might do to them, and they ask Brendan to speak mass very quietly. <laughs> but Brendan, in his usual fashion, goes, No, 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 I'm going to sing extra loudly, la, 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 la. And the fish are <laughs> attracted towards the boat by the sound of this mass, but they never come too close. And then once they're finished, they just swim off again. Yeah, they sail through this sea for eight days. But I love what Brendan says. He yeah. says, Why would you, that of these two years kept the Feast of the Resurrection on a great fish's back. Be scared of these little things. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, he's kind of right. <laughs> and we have, of course, met this sea before. Yeah. There was a monster in a tree in an underwater landscape. Yes, yeah. It's now more sort of naturalistic. It is, and I can't help feeling that Brendan has turned this metaphor of, you know, underwater flocks of livestock... Uh, into just a simile that it's shoals of fish like unto flocks of livestock. 
Right, we've reached a really important island, mm. the island of the pillar. Yeah. And this one is, is, I think, important because it appears in at least three of the Imrama. Yeah, absolutely. And we have met it before. It's a great pillar that is comes out of the sea. I think it says they can see it for three days while they're rowing towards mm. it. And when they get near, um, it's uh, the top disappears into the clouds, but they can see all the way down. It goes a mile down under the surface. And it has this great net which is made of some material which looks like silver but has some kind of t quality of marble about it. Described as a canopy. Here. Yeah, they call it a canopy, but that might just be the, the translation from yeah. the Latin. We know it's a net. And that this the net or canopy um, goes a mile out into the sea, uh, away from the column, uh, but also then a mile down. The column itself is said to be made of crystal. And as they get near it, Brendan tells his monks to kind of hold open the edges of the canopy so that they can sail in through the opening. So it's a bit like kind of holding out one of the, the holes in a net and then sailing the boat through it. And we know that a boat can sail through yeah, one of those It's very, loops. very strange because, yeah. once again, they can't... There's nothing there yeah. but the canopy and the net. There's wonder, yeah. And uh, I love the description mm. of it, and I'm going to read that. Yeah. St Brendan measured an opening between four pavilions. I think he means four parts of the canopy. Well, yes, or, or mm. it's sort of the four edges of, yeah. a, of a net loop. You Which know? he found to be four cubits on every side. Now, mm. it's not just an oars few oars length. Exactly, yeah, it's yeah. It's pretty big. Yeah. And when they'd sailed along for all day by one side of the column, mm. they could always feel the shade as well as the heat of the sun. Yeah. They found the measurement of each side to be 400 cubits. Yes. Now, I'm not certain what a cubit is yeah. in terms of its length, but it's pretty large. One of the things that they find as they are going around uh, this pillar is a chalice. Oh, yes. Which is uh, made of... No, which is which? The it's, chalice is made it's of... It's a chalice made of the same material as the canopy. Yeah, so, so that's it's sort of silver... silver... A silver marble, mm, they describe mm, it as. Yeah. There's never any suggestion of whether marble gives us a solidity, yeah. but I don't think it's meant to be that. No, it might be, again, it's the sort, sort of marbling... Mottled mottled silver. Yeah. They yeah, also find that the platter, the pattern which is used for, for yeah. carrying the host, and that's, that's, made, crystal. that's made out of the same crystal as yeah. the pillar itself. Itself. So this is, you know, something really quite extraordinary. I mean, it is similar to Melduin's island, but there's so much detail. Mm. And uh, again, this same evidential quality. Absolutely. Like, They've got something to take, take home away. with them. Yeah. And it's not a piece of the net this mm. time. It's mm. something that is specific to the Christian nature of Absolutely. this Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Role. Now, I find it really interesting that, you know, with the slight exception of you know the 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 material needed for the mass the the cup the chalice and the platter that there doesn't seem to be anything else particularly christian about this and it would it is description in the other two mm. just this pillar exactly yeah with this, this net around mm -hmm. it and it's very specific it's very important yeah but it does nothing exactly but i was kind of uh, wondering about that and in whale dune which we're considering as a kind of an origin for a lot of the other imrova um it appears shortly before the island of women mm. and of course the island of women in whale dune and in bran they have this sticky thread that they can throw and use it to reel so in sticky ball of wool i started to think that this net was like a spider's web as a foretelling that they're getting near to the centre of the web. 
you know, well, where you'll find the women. But this net, mm. if it's a spider's web, yeah. it's connected in some way mm. with the drawing in of people, exactly. the pulling in like a spider pulling. Yeah. That's not very nice, is it? No, but it, <laughs> but it's how does I feel have... about Neve. Yeah, I know. But but in, in I think that with the um, with Maildoon and with Brown, it's clear that, you know, this is, if you like, a positive thing, that you're meeting the kind of the centre of power. Um, but I find it so interesting that if you have that reading on the significance of the net and, you know, its connection with the women and the sticky ball of wool, um, that it's made its way even into Brendan. Mm. And they mm. don't know why. They just know that it is so important and such a striking image. It's so prevalent, you yeah. just can't, you can't, can't leave, leave it out. out. Exactly. That it's almost something there that's been forgotten. I'm mm. not saying there is no, as far as I know, the spider doesn't appear. Not very much at all, in no. stories. We don't have an Ariadne. No, and, no, we um, don't. But this is the kind of the closest, if you like, it's the an, an image of, you know, going inwards toward the centre of a web and then meeting the the thing that made the web or the thing that you know, and there is the same thing that although the greatest desire is I mean if you're looking at it from a male point of view mm. the greatest desire is to get to the Isle of Women yeah but there's also this thing that in doing so you cannot come back exactly in the original version yes, to yes. go there meant that the time dilation would mean that coming back was impossible exactly yeah. so it is both an extremely attractive yeah. but also, also very dangerous thing. Yeah. It is a trap. Yeah, and certainly Mildoon and his crew considered it to be a trap. So I think you might have something yeah. there. That needs further looking into. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's a really really interesting idea because yeah. this whole pillar thing is mm. a bit mysterious. Oh it is, yeah. It's very obscure. Yeah, but it's also very exact, you know, and the fact that it keeps on cropping up, it's such a particular image. Even in Brendan. Yeah. So now we come to the island of the Smiths. Yes. Another familiar one. It is. Now, this is a really rugged island covered in slag with yeah. no trees. But there are a load of forges. Now, Brenda doesn't like the look of this one. No, no, he no. says it's definitely malign. Yeah. And as they get close, they hear the bellows and they see the smith, who is, as usual, huge, hairy and hideous, yep. just like in the Ikora. Yeah. And he shouts at them and uh, they sail away. There's no suggestion they sail backwards. No, right? no. They just sail away. And the smith throws huge lumps of hot, burning slag at them. Yeah. Only he misses. Of course. And they fall into the sea. Yeah. And immediately, uh, loads of other people gather, gather on the island, obviously more yeah. I throw so much molten metal yeah. that the whole island looks like a globe of fire. Yes. And Brenda goes, oh, you know, you better be strong, brothers. We're now on the edge of hell. Yes. Yeah. So once again, we have a familiar island. Um, we had a very similar one in the Ikura, uh, except, of course, that as with most stuff in the Ikura, it was all connected with working on Sundays and, and the punishments thereof. Um, although, as you said, we did also meet it in Dune where they escaped with that trick. And of course, the only incidents of for once, yeah, Brendan's predictions actually had narrative structure. They exactly, yeah, a little bit of tension. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. we're on the edge of hell. Da da da. Exactly. You know, you actually get a little bit of story. Yeah. And now we come to the next island, uh, the island of the mountain of hell. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, they see another high, lofty island with great steep cliffs, but this one is mostly a, a mountain that's so tall that the top is lost in the clouds. But they can see great plumes of smoke billowing out. Sounds from very it. much like a volcano, doesn't it? It does, rather. Now, you described this, of course, in the opening stories. Yeah. So they're just driven inexorably toward this island by the yeah. wind. Now, this is the one, as you say, I wrote about at the beginning, and mm. it's quite a strong image. Mm. But 
what I don't understand is the monk is standing there and he just leaps out of the boat mm. almost as if he can't help himself. Yeah. And, and the monk's watch as he's carried into the air by demons already burning. Yeah. And all Brendan does is turn round to them and go, oh, woe is you, unhappy man who has made such an evil end. Yeah. You know? That's it. I know. And then it's, it, the text carries on and a favourable wind came up and carried them away. Yeah. They could still see the mountain burning. Yeah. yeah. And that's it. Oh, yeah. The feeling that he goes voluntarily, but mm. I think it's just that he goes under compulsion. There is certainly a feeling of inexorability about it. You know, it's just the the phrase in the text saying that that third uh, latecomer leapt out of the boat and and kind of seems himself to go toward the shore. I wonder whether he's giving in to the inevitability of his fate, you know. Mm. But he does certainly then get dragged to hell by a load of fiery demons, you know. It's kind of clear description of volcano. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first it's got smoke coming out. Yeah. The high cliffs, you know, mm. it's very much a volcanic island. Yeah. Uh, and it's been suggested that maybe there are, there are traces of, uh, or knowledge of Iceland, and the yeah. volcanoes of Iceland. But I don't think it helps saying that that proves it's a journey to America. Yeah. Now, another thing that's kind of contributed to the Iceland idea mm. is that they are going north at the time. But I feel as though that's kind of a symbolic direction rather Rather than a geographical direction. What you mean? Sort of hell is in the north. Yeah. The dark and frozen place. Exactly. But okay. uh, you know, even in Dante's Inferno, there is as much sort of awful cold as there is terrible heat yeah. in, in hell. You know, so our idea that hell is always fiery, mm, you know, it's not necessarily like that all the time. And you'd see it as a sort of symbolic direction mm. rather than a geographical direction. Yeah, exactly. Well, after all, you know, the Holy Land is to the south. So it can't be there. Yeah. Um, the the native other world, which they still know about, is in the west. That can't be there. Yeah. In the east, you've got the island of Britain. It, it so, might not be there. Yeah. So it's, it's the only kind of place left. But besides which, you know, hordes of evil pagan Vikings have come down out of the frozen wastes of the north, you know. So I think it's just a good kind of... Good place what hell. Good candidate, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing is interesting that um, he Brendan really doesn't do anything to help the man, no, does he? No, not at I all. mean, mind you, Mel Doohan didn't do much to help his third foster brother no, either. No, just sort of let him go, you know. But I mean, Brendan does even less for his third, you know, devoted follower here than he's about to do when they meet Judas. Ooh, what a giveaway. You're oh, down. well. <laughs> What's the point? There's no point in this text. And the next island is just what you said, the yeah. island of Judas. Yes. Now, they, after they've left the mountain of hell, they start to sail southward for a week, for seven days, and then they see this dense cloud and a very miserable-looking man sitting on a rock in the middle of the sea. Now, it's a really curious description. It says that in front of him there is this great veil, a great sheet, that is suspended on two prongs. Um, and that this is sort of continuously slapping him in the face, effectively. The wind just slaps it into his face all the time. Um, and that the rock and the miserable man are all being tossed around as though they're on a stormy sea, but the sea itself is frozen still. <laughs> Do you know what that reminds me of? Remember the improbability drive in Hitchhiker? Yeah. Where when they're trying to get the hang of that, he yeah. says, oh, you know, I can see that the, the sea is quite still while the buildings are being washed up and down. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, he tells them he's Judas, obviously. Yes. And, of course, because he's Judas, he's being 
punished terribly, hideously, and forever. Exactly. And he's in agony every day. Mm. But he's a, he's let off, or mm. at least it gets a bit better on a Sunday. Yes. And he's sat on this rock to be washed around on a Sunday. Yeah. But he said for the rest of the week, I must read that bit, yeah. I burn like a mass of molten lead day and night in the heart of that mountain you have seen. And there Leviathan and his satellites dwell. And there was I when it swallowed down your lost brother, for which all hell exalted and belched forth great flames, as it always does when it devours the souls of the reprobate. <laughs> Charming! I know, I know. And then he lays it on with a trowel. Oh, What's yeah. happened to this last brother? Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. he does go on to explain the cloth that was in front of him. Yeah. Apparently that was a cloak he gave to a leper. Yeah. But since he was the purse holder for the apostles, yeah. it wasn't really his cloak that he was giving away. So yeah. Only half counts. Yeah. And the two prongs are some sort of bits of metal that he gave to the priests yeah. to hang cauldrons on. Yeah. I really don't know why. Mm. And also that the rock is one that he sort of put into a muddy pathway in order to, to make, make it, it easier to cross. he became a disciple. Exactly. So these represent the three uh, sort of good deeds he's yeah. done in his yeah. life. As they're talking and it's getting toward uh, nightfall, all the demons of, well not all the demons but a, a cadre of demons from hell come to drag him back to his punishment but Brendan managed to, manages to fend them off. He tells them to go away and that, you know uh, God will grant uh, another night's reprieve and he succeeds in that. In the morning the demons come back and they're really cross because they've been given shtick all night from their boss for not having brought Judas back and at this point they do drag him back to hell. Brendan lets them do that but when they chase Brendan away. Yeah yeah but they say that they're going to administer double punishments all week because um, they didn't get him overnight. Brendan running away goes you can't do that God won't let you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I like the bit about the, the, the three things that allow him to have Sundays off. Yes. Well, it's sort of Sundays less. Exactly, yeah, yeah. This is a holiday, you know, the holiday from his tournament. But yes, it's a bit like um, the when the Ikara met the, the monkess bird <laughs> and she had these three... The lady monk. Yeah, the lady monk. Uh, but she had these three bright feathers in her uh, bosom that represented the three generous acts of her life. Mm. You know, so it's a little bit like that, that these are the sort of the lessening of the torment because of the good acts. Yeah, so you can see it's intertextuality again. Yes. Oh, yeah. you, here you've got something a bit more. You've mm. got uh, oh, the torment of Judas, you mm. know, and the fact that he's allowed a lesser torment on a, on a holy day. Yeah. But this a generous generosity of God yeah. can affect the devil. But I can see the, uh, a strong influence of St Augustine. Oh, here. the hippo. Yeah, well, of hippo, yeah, yeah. But we'll talk about more, more about him later. Yeah. It's just that I think what it gets across here is that the devil only has power mm. because God allows it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this supposed to be better? No, no, definitely not. <laughs> so we finally leave hell behind. Thank goodness. And come to the island of Paul's spiritual. Yes. Now, as usual, Brendan has predicted this and then they find this island but this time Brendan says they shouldn't even land on the island without permission and so he all by himself jumps out the boat and climbs up the mountain um, where he finds two caves one of them has a spring at the mouth of the cave and that's where he finds Paul the spiritual. Now here's this ancient man <laughs> had nothing but the hair of his head you know um, and what's more he has been living there for the last 60 years all he has had is spring water he hasn't even eaten and for 30 years before that he was being fed by some a certain creature as it says in this text sort of walking on its hind legs bringing him food and fire 
It's the altar. It's, it's almost certainly the altars that we mm. met before. Well, Brendan's really impressed with yeah. us <laughs> and humbled. And he's mm. going, oh, God, this poor, this one's more spiritual than me. Yeah. It's kind of holier than me. Yeah. Well, he tells his story. And mm. this, this, this is a familiar story, but it's altered. Yeah. Because um, this is the evil cook reborn. Yeah. In the guise of a saint. Yeah. Apparently, he kept the cemetery at the monastery of St. Patrick. Yeah. And then one day, while he was trying to bury a brother, mm. a sort of spirit appears mm. and says, Hang on, you can't bury him there. That's where I'm buried. Yeah. He goes, Well, who are you then? Well, don't you recognize your own abbot? <laughs> he says, I died yesterday and uh, <laughs> yes, you but... buried me, and so you can't bury this other brother here. Which so... is like the 80s song Camouflage, if people know that one about yeah. the, the strange marine saying he died last night. So yes, yeah, but like right. that. But St. Patrick this time. But so this is actually supposed to be the burial site of St. Patrick who yeah. comes back and says, no, no, no. And what's more, you better go on an Imrov. Yeah. And he sends him on a, 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 an Imrov of his own. Yeah. And the same thing happens. He goes out to go wherever he will until he meets a rock and the, yeah. gets on the rock. And after 30 years, he finds these two caves. Yeah, it took him a while, considering it's sort of a, a little rock in the middle of the ocean. It takes him 30 years before finding these caves. Obviously, we've met this hairy hermit before, but he's no longer an evil cook, but no. all the spiritual. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I think it's kind of, you know, beyond reproach. And as you said, Brendan is impressed. It's, he's even more abstinent than St. Brendan. All he's lived on for 60 years is water. I suppose, in a way, it's sort of like following the image of Judas on a rock. Mm with a, a holy hermit on yes, the rock. Yes, yes. So it's a compare contrast. Yeah, know? yeah. This is the evil, this yeah. is the good. Exactly. And then once again, as we said, St. Patrick's back. Yes. And this is the only Imrov which mentions Patrick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's also where we had the, the island of the Anchorite community before. That's almost like the paradigm for a monastic community. And this one seems to be the paradigm for the... the Hermit, mm. uh, the Dioradae, Day, as they were called uh, in Irish, which means exile of God. Mm. You know, um, so yeah, it seems to be the ultimate, mm. and it is actually the penultimate. Yeah, we're Island, yeah, really. nearly home. Um, I, I mean, he tells them that they, after they're going to take some water for a forty-day journey, mm. that they'll go and spend Easter again. We've dodged; we've got the missing years. Yes, you know, because yeah. we're now on the sixth year. Exactly, this is the final. We're coming to the seventh Easter. As yeah, just coming up. They'll spend one more Easter on the island of the birds, mm -hmm. and then they'll get to the land of promise. Yeah, uh, mind you, I do think it's a kind of dumbed-down story, and not as much fun as the evil cook. Oh God, no, no, absolutely not. The island of Yasconius again. So it must be Easter. It must be. <laughs> again, that's the usual thing. But this time, since it's their last. Uh, Easter celebration, Isconius the great fish actually carries them all straight to the island of the birds. They don't have to, to sail there. So it's this sort of, it's just slightly different, you know. Again, they spend their Easter with the birds uh, all the way through to Pentecost. And their old uh, shepherd, who has been, you know, feeding them for years, uh, says now that he will guide them to the island of the promise of the saints. Mm -hmm. So he's actually a more significant character yes. than he seems. This exactly. is why I got this good shepherd feel. Yeah. Too. So we finally reached the Isle of Promise of the Saints. Yes. But, you know, there's not much to say because it's already been said. <laughs> I know, yeah. We already knew what was going to happen and what would it, it would be like. They travel west, although the Latin text says east for some reason. Yeah, now I kind of feel like this is a, a bit too editorial of our translator. And I think there might already have been that notion that it was a journey to the new world and therefore it had to be in the yeah, west. Yeah, or it's just that it's an island, you know, it's to the islands of promise yeah. therefore it's got to be west yes. how can you come east again yeah well, um but in fact they 
God's heaven, they're coming back. Exactly, and they've been going around in circles, as we know, every yeah, year. Yeah, seven years. Yeah. Anyway, they, as they travel, they meet the same cloud of dance, darkness yes. that Berinthus did. They yeah. went through the cloud of darkness, and they find themselves into bright day, and they land on a wide island, just mm -hmm. as they did, as Berinthus did, yeah. with no night time, good weather, trees and plants always in fruit, yeah. and they explore for 40 days and don't find anything, really. Well, they don't find the edge of it. They uh, don't know how big it is. And they come to the river, they, they can't cross the it, and there's the same young, resplendent man yeah. who greets them by name. Yeah. Yeah, sort of angelic figure yeah going, you know you this is the human side after mm. this this will be heaven the yeah, other side, yeah so you can't go through yeah. alive this is much more a sort of jordan image yeah and um he says right well you know it took so long for you to get here because god wanted to prove to you what an interesting place his creation was and how yeah. many different things there were in it yeah. so go home i know <laughs> Oh, they're allowed to take um, they're allowed to take precious gems. Apparently. Oh yes, yes. Well, again, there's that sort of evidentiary thread, you know, sort of like this will prove it, you know, yeah, or so, it's all for the glory so, of God, of course. Yeah. Their their reward is to take home as much fruit as they like. Yeah. And all the precious stones your boats could carry. Yeah. Is there a little hint of cupidity here? Yeah, quite possibly. <laughs> You know, it seems it's an irony. The first one they get to, mm -hmm. they come across this island and there's all these precious things on the wall and they oh, can't yeah. take them. Yeah, yeah. It's to do with permission, isn't uh, it? It really is, yeah, yeah. And we discussed that before when we met it in, in Ikoro. Um, but yeah, they do. They head off home and this time it's the direct route. Nothing particularly exciting happens. That On the way back, they spend three days on the Island of Delights, which appears to be Murnoch's island. So Yeah, yeah it's just on the way back. Yeah. And of course, Murnoch says, oh, you took all that time? Yeah. Years? I could have done it in an hour. <laughs> exactly. Well, there was one thing I forgot to mention mm. that interests me about the Isle of um, Promise of the Saints. Yeah. There's one comment that the angelic man says that, that one day this island may be made available for God's Select at yeah. a time of trouble. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that might be worth looking at. It's, yeah. a, it's a bit obscure, mm. but it might have some interesting interpretations. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what they are. No, <laughs> we could make some guesses. Yeah. Okay, so they're home. Yeah, and that's it. That's it. Well, I think having taken seven years to get to this Isle of Promise of the Saints. In the end, it's a little bit of a letdown. It is rather. You know, I mean, it's it's your your standard. You know, it's always daytime or summertime and there's fruit and so on but you know all they meet is this one angelic messenger and, and even the immortality is yeah. they're not allowed to stay it doesn't really help does exactly it? yeah they've met better islands on the way that were more interesting <laughs> i think you know well i suppose that the land of promise has sort of become a metaphor for the future promise of heaven mm. with sort of hints of the second coming yes, about it yeah. and that really in effect, the other world is no longer concurrent with the mortal world. Yeah, yeah. In, in Brendan. Exactly, that you can only get there through death and resurrection. You can't sort of stay, you can no. get glimpses, mm. but through a glass darkly and then face to face later, you know, yeah, to yeah. misquote the Bible. And of course, yeah. there's no women. Yeah, and I think that it kind of gives it a bit of a narrative gap, you know, because we did talk, particularly at Whale Dune, about this role of women as the other and, mm. you know, as the kind of if you like, the natives of the other world and the kind of communication that the, the sort of mortal men have with these other world women. 
Um, and I think that, yeah, the story's a bit flat. Yeah, you see, well done, that, that transition quality that they choose to turn away. Yeah, yeah. And the difficulty of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. But, Brendan, it's just cut out altogether yeah. and it just leaves a huge hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, and I suppose the important thing is that, that it's a question of having faith to get through the darkness, yeah. to get through the cloud of doubt. Yes, yeah. Uh, obviously, Murnock's quite good at it. Yes, yes. But it's not even as, you know, we talked about how the Kuro was this great sort of journey to go past self-doubt and, and forgive yourself. But that's to do with the, the personal journey exactly, of the yeah, soul. Yeah. You know, that personal deep need to turn yourself inside out. Yeah, yeah. The, this is just a question of, well, if you believe what the Bible tells yeah. you, if you believe what you're, if you believe believe what 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 you're saint tell you, yeah. you'll do it. Yeah, yeah. But you have to have a saint as a guide. Exactly. There are a few themes that are worth discussing. Yes. I think the one that gets me is that Brendan has no journey. Yeah. We talked a lot about Muldoon's psychological journey. Yeah. That was quite interesting. Mm. But this one just lacks one completely. Yeah, yeah. It hits you over and over again. At the start of the story, he's already a saint. Yeah. He's got a direct line to God. Yeah. He's a know-it-all. Mm. And the only time he's ever impressed in, and humbled is with Paul the Spiritual, yeah, yeah. who's actually eats less than he does. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I think the important thing is to, to stop being a bit flippant. It's mm. just the fact that his life isn't changed yes, by this journey. exactly. Murnock's already been there. Yeah, yeah. He's not Berinthus has already been there. Yeah. It, it, he returns with his chosen monks to the own monastery at the yeah. end, and he's the same person he was at the beginning. Yeah. It's interesting as well that, there, as we said, there are many, many variations on this story. And a number of them kind of do give Brendan more of a personal story. Yeah, I quite like, I haven't been able to find a proper translation in English, but mm. there is a, a, a 12th century Dutch version, mm. which apparently came from a German version mm -hmm. and has probably given rise to the English version. Mm -hmm. But the beginning is really good. Yeah. Um, he's given a book full of wonders, but he mm. doesn't believe it, so yeah. he throws it into a fire. Yeah. <laughs> and an angel appears and says, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah. That wasn't a good idea. Mm. Now you're going to have to go on a journey and experience all these wonders for yourself. Yeah. So you can rewrite the book. Yes. <laughs> now that version is interesting because mm. it includes the cat heads and dog headed people yeah. from that you find in Snakes and Regler. Yeah. And it also has a huge fish that is swallowing its own tail. Yeah, yeah. You know, absolutely Ouroboros or, yeah, yeah. or Midgard Serpent. Yeah. And even the Middle Irish uh, variation that I, I was talking about, uh, that has a very different beginning for the journey as well. And it starts with a big kind of feast for all the saints. Saints party. Yeah, big saints party uh, held by St. Finane. Who we know about. Yeah, who's the, the head of the Saints University. They sort of get talking about uh, the land of promise and in that it is Tir Tangra, which is, you know, the prophesied land or the land mm. of which we've spoken. Um, and they basically then hold a lottery to see which of them will go and try and find this the land of promise. And uh, it's our St. Brendan who wins that wins the lottery. That lottery, yeah. Um, but then there's also, you know, who should go with him. And there is a sort of another St. Brendan, the St. Brendan of Burr. We've um, come across him. We've come before. across him too. Who seems to say that he should go as well because he's young. And so either he's less likely to die or it won't matter if he does die. I'm not 100% sure about that one. 
Um, but on that journey, um, not an awful lot happens. They still have the whale, and that's the one who deliberately comes back every year to help them celebrate Easter. But the majority of the story is a vision of hell. That mm-hmm. Brendan gets this demon to kind of open the door for him so he can have a look through. And then there's this tremendous description of all the tortures in huge alliterative lists and, you know, bits of poetry and bits that seem like chanting or even the ranting of a kind of, you know, hell of oh, brimstone creature. The bit you read me, yeah. the way it sounds. Yeah. It reminds me, oh, I don't know, of the uh, the rant of the preacher in Portrait of the Artist. Yes, yeah. You know, or doing something, almost titillating. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's see how much uh, how much nastiness we can get in yeah. because audiences really like that. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's got that quality it about does, it. It does, yeah, yeah. Now, in that, I have to say it's great because hell is full of dragons and lions and tigers. Oh, oh my. my. <laughs> but after this huge vision of hell, then uh, Brendan once again meets Judas. Um, and uh, there's a very similar story with Judas on the rock and so on but again then there's another huge screed of poetry which is all about Judas bewailing you know the sin of his life and Mm -hmm. the the terribleness of his torture and that's That's it that's it they forget about the Isle of Promise of the Saints exactly they never get there exactly so it's all just this vision but it still has to have the whale in it yeah yeah yeah, that's some basics yeah but I I can't help feeling though that some of these other versions they have these kind of different launch points these different beginnings um, because there is no real motivation for Brendan's journey you know oh of course you can't have Muldoon's ninja story and hagiography no that wouldn't be the right thing exactly you know it has to be done for the glory of God and that's it yeah yeah um, and to prove that Brendan is a saint. Well, yes, he's forever and continuously in our text. He's just going on and proving he's a saint, usually by giving away the story. Yeah, I mean, this is usual, however. We're, is. If we're being really... A bit uh, flippant, yeah. You know, he didn't write the Hagiography. No, he didn't. It was his biographer yeah. who kept on doing this. So, but... I have come across this kind of thing in other hagiographies. So, for example, in Adavnan's Life of Cullen Kill, um, Cullen Kill is forever predicting things that are going to happen and then they happen. You know, there are screeds and screeds of this. Um, funnily enough, though, when I was reading A Life of St. Ciaran, um, it was listing his miracles. And the author is obviously getting bored because it would say, and then he did this miracle where he healed it and the name of God was magnified and it was all to the glory of God. But after a while, it starts going, and the name of God, etc. etc. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't do anything with narrative structure. No, it doesn't. I mean, they're out there for seven years yeah. and most of the time nothing happens. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So we must re- presume that they kind of roar around aimlessly yeah. between Pentecost and Christmas every exactly, year. Exactly, yeah. Um, tell me this, is there scope for a sequel to <laughs> Brendan, The Lost Years? <laughs> I think possibly one of the most important uh, changes that happens in this, this particular text is mm. the importance of the latecomers. Yes, yeah. They now become a parable of redemption and yeah, salvation. Yeah. I mean, if we go through, one is saved, one damned, yeah. and one able to repent at the very last minute mm. to be saved. Yeah. And it sort of feels very cruel and arbitrary. arbitrary. Yeah. I think it represents the standard Christian view of the period. Yeah. You know, best to make sure that you've confessed and be in a state of grace mm. if you can, because a last minute repentance might not be possible. Yeah. And the results would be disastrous. Well, it's a bit like saying that you should wear clean underpants in case you get hit by a bus. I think really it's a lot of this is this, this we're getting a strong influence of St. Augustine yeah. in this particular text. Mm. And, oh, this is now your um, classical monastic. Yes. rather than the early 
yeah. Irish monasticism. Exactly, yeah. Even though it, it references the Irish monastic sites quite strongly. Oh, it does, yeah, yeah. But that the text itself seems to be of a later yeah. form. We've got a lot to thank or blame St Augustine for. <laughs> yes. I mean, it, it's not his fault. He generally, I've, I've not read him directly. I've mm. only read about him. I yeah. haven't read the Confessions, etc. Mm. But generally, he seems to have been a sort of caring and mm. compassionate man for his time. Yeah, yeah. But his fourth century views have had a lot of influence. Oh, they have, yeah. Huge amounts of yeah. influence. I mean, possibly the most is free will and, and pre, uh, predestination. Predestination, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I found a quote which I wrote down. Mm. Uh, While God knows who will be saved and who will not, with no possibility that one destined to be lost will be saved, mm. this knowledge represents God's perfect knowledge of how humans will freely choose their destinies. Yeah, yeah. Get out of that. He was also quite important in the acceptance of original sin, uh, which kind of influences everything. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, he saw the human being as a perfect unity of two substances, soul and body, mm. but there was always combat between the yes, two. Yes, yeah. Well, this brought about all sorts of stuff, like um, the respect for the body after death, mm. so you couldn't do... Um, desecrate it. ...autopsies and things like yeah, that, yeah. so it, it delayed... Mm. A lot of uh, medical yes, work. yeah. But also his awful view of women oh, yeah. for the time. Yes, yeah. Uh, for example, now this is a good one, he considered a man's erection to be sinful, mm. though involuntary, because it didn't take place, it wasn't his fault. Yes. He couldn't help it. <laughs> yeah. And his solution was to place controls on women so that they wouldn't be able to influence men. Yeah, now that's an attitude that has carried right the way through to now, to, you know, women shouldn't wear provocative clothing because then mm. the, the poor men can't control their urges, so it's up to women to, you know, prevent So that. we can thank him for the problems of free will and predest uh, predestination, yeah. original sin, yeah. and his attitude towards women. Yeah. Um, as the causers of, you know, sexual thoughts yeah, in men. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I mean, one of the other of the sort of positive negatives was mm. this influence of Neoplatonism. You yeah. can talk about that better than me. Well, just in a sort of a brief way, this idea, like you said about the, the human being, this mix of body and soul, his philosophy of the ideal world was that anything in this world is just a kind of a, a slight projection of one element of the perfect form of that thing mm. now in philosophy the example is always a table so in this it's always a table it is always a table i was going to write the defense of tables when i was <laughs> studying so you have the kind of if you like the three or four dimensional protrusion into our experience yeah. of, of the table but it is not itself pure tableness and that on this plane of ideal forms you had pure tableness and so it was this kind of very it really a perfect but unattainable realm yeah. and i think that in augustine um looking at this uh, in terms of you know soul and body even good and evil that the sort of the pure spiritual and pure good realm of heaven of god was this unattainable perfection i think as he got older he became depressed and felt that People couldn't possibly yeah. ever reach that um, perfect world or exactly. that state of grace. So therefore, it must be an act of God's mercy yeah. to choose any of them. Yeah, yeah. And so the ones he chose, we should be grateful that he chose any of elected some. Exactly, yeah. But the rest, you know, well, that was just it. Yeah. He became very... 
depressed about yes. human nature. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's stuck. Yeah, but I mean, it is a philosophical <laughs> consequence of imagining sort of the holy realm as something perfect, you know, because we, we are and in an imperfect completely world. Completely separate. Yeah, exactly. Utterly it was the off. absolute separation. Mm. So you end up with God up there mm. in majesty, unattainable. Yeah. And that connection between this world and the other world yeah. is so fundamentally separated yeah. and severed yeah. that it's like Tolkien's separation of yeah. the worlds, you know, the, and, the, and suddenly the seas were sundered. Yes. Literally. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's quite important, but far too difficult to, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's big ideas. probably stuff, being but, horribly muddled. Yeah, it? but it is, it's the reason that, you know, the other world in these stories we've been looking at is getting further and further away. Yeah, it is kind of central. Mm, yeah. Uh, the, 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 the Christian <laughs> philosophy. Yeah. Which didn't sit at all well. No. With this, um, with the Irish philosophy, yeah. if you like. Even yeah. though they seem so to live together so exactly. happily, yeah. but there is a deep rift. Yeah, I think this is why the, suddenly the hell interludes get so horrific. Yes, yeah. Um, much more oddly enough, even in the even in the Ikara story, where they're all that's what will happen if you do something on a Sunday. Yeah, it's now it's you know it's back and it's personal. <laughs> this time it's personal. Well, the the sort of the inexorability and inevitability, you know, that if you are not one of the chosen, then that's it. There's nothing it's you no... can do about it. Even your days off, you're going to get hit in the face by a veil. Yeah, and it makes Brendan even Brendan at that point yeah. shows an compassionate streak yes yeah toward Judas that he actually gives him a little bit more respite yeah that it's so horrible yeah well I'm afraid that's what comes of picking a desert storm god as your main deity and then saying that none of the others exist yeah, that's another long story that's a very long one <laughs> one last look at this voyage yeah. it did get a bit repetitive yes. and I'm sorry if we sounded as though we, you know I'm nothing against monks I think a monastic yeah. life is a really interesting oh yeah style. yeah yeah but this one just gets <laughs> it does get rather repetitive I mean yeah. they just run around in circles mm. but I think these circles do represent the liturgical year I mean they spend Christmas with St Alva mm. in silence of course <laughs> and Easter on the Isle of Sheep Yasconia's birds yeah and it happens over and over again for seven years yes well perhaps this is the function of the tale that it's a sort of a key to understanding the text well, that otherwise it's, somewhat boring text. well yeah that it's almost like a handbook of monastic life i mean you have this community of brothers with their abbot and they're in this small boat this shared communal life uh, in the midst of a strange and often hostile sea um, they don't get very much to eat or drink, you know, it's, it is quite a hard life and there's a lot of fasting involved. Um, and every now and then that kind of repetitiveness of the open mm. sea is interrupted by these islands of festivals. Um, and those are times when, you know, life gets a little bit more interesting. They get a bit more to eat or, or to drink, they can catch up on their sleep. Every now and then something exciting happens, such as somebody dying. Um, but particularly, I thought, with the festival of Easter, you have mm -hmm. these three islands. You've got the great feast of the Last Supper, which mm -hmm. is the sort of Holy Thursday into Good Friday. And that's what they have with the sheep and the shepherd. And as you pointed out, this kind of image of the Good yeah. Shepherd is probably significant. Then they have this kind of in-between day of Good Friday into Holy Saturday. And we've already talked about fish on Fridays. But also, Easter is a movable feast, yeah, and the yeah. island is a movable island. So you mean the whole uh, Im 
Imrov is yeah. really like a pictorial representation, yeah. an allegory yeah. of what it's like to be a monk. I think so. And yeah. you might as well be your little monastery is almost like a, a little boat cut yeah. off from everyone else. Exactly. Where most of the time nothing happens except at festival time. Yes, yes. And that's brilliant. And and even with the descriptions of the festival the big festival of Easter, of the mm. resurrection, of course, which they have on this island, the paradise of birds. It does say in tremendous detail exactly what psalms are sung and exactly when they are sung. But throughout the text, the most commonly cited psalm is this one that says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to live in unity. <laughs> that, that's quoted at least three times. So it really is going, this is what it's like to be a monk. I and think so. It's a bit like going off on a voyage, wild from anywhere, where yes. occasionally something exciting happens. Exactly. And we all sing a lot. Exactly, yes. And we would go round and round and round in circles and if we're lucky we might get a glimpse of but paradise. It's that wonderful circle of the year and eventually exactly. all together, if mm. we follow this way of life, we will come to paradise. Exactly. Yeah. I think you're right. I yeah. think that's brilliant. No, it has been written off before. There yeah. are papers about the relationship between this text and the liturgical year. But I think that it's also a lifestyle thing, you know, all of this fasting and you know scraping together a few roots so and really vegetables. Like a, a sort of popular way of going, look, this is our lifestyle. Exactly. Mind yeah. you, that you know, I was looking at all the Psalms, and you're right, there's so many oh, of God, them. Oh, God, yeah. I could possibly provide <laughs> a list of the Psalms and match them with the current liturgical year. I recognise quite a yeah. few of the Psalms, um, I, you know, if you like. Yeah, well, I think, to be honest, if anyone out there is interested enough, please do it for us, but we're not <laughs> necessarily you know, going to expand our... You know what's it then? No, okay, no. good. <laughs> Right, well, so to go back to the title that we gave this episode, yeah. when is an Imrov not an Imrov? Yeah. Now, look, doesn't this one kind of out-Imrov any of the other <laughs> Imrovs? Seriously. I think it does. I mean, uh, the, the literal term, as we said before, is rowing around, and Brendan does more rowing around in circles than any of them. I mean, it's definitely much more of an Imrov than Bram. Yeah, and as you've now pointed out, mm. this is effectively, this voyage is also, um, oh, I don't know, what do you call it? It's a Monastic almanac. Yeah, it's like those illustrated books of days that you get. Yeah, you know, and that goes round and round every year. Exactly. Yeah, I think it has to be an Imrov. Yes. Yeah. Um, if we compare it, say, with the just run through the other yeah. Imrov and compare it. Yeah. I mean, well, look, Brown gets the Isle of Promise and doesn't return. Yeah. Uh, Snegus and MacRiegler learn a lesson about vengeance and punishment. And what I like about that yeah. one is God is proved to be more compassionate than their order. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you've got the Ikora who mm. overcome their fear that their own nature is evil yes. because of their birth and they learn to forgive themselves. Mm. It is a personal journey. Absolutely. And Maldun, well, he learns about who he is and comes to terms with his own identity. Yeah. That one's really clear. Yeah. But what does Brendan learn that he didn't know at the beginning of the tale? Hmm. Tough one. Answers on a postcard. Well, I'm not really sure about what Brendan learns, but there are things that we've learned by looking at this in relation to the other Imrova and some of the images and elements used in some of the other texts. Yeah, now, as we've been talking, I've been thinking about the narrative gap in yes. the Isle of Women. Yeah, and the that, that they're not there. Exactly, and that the, the women as a whole are kind of excised from the text. And that it's clear, particularly Mel, Dune and Bran, that the Isle of Women is the core, it's the destination yeah. of the journey. And then if you look at the destination, the mm. real destination of this journey mm. is that moment. It's it's the two islands, the island of hell, the yeah. island where, oh, that, that horror 
horrible one that I wrote at the beginning, mm. where he snatched away the island of the mountain of hell, yeah. followed by the vision of Judas. In exactly, hell. Yeah. and they are in some ways connected. Oh, very much two. so. Yeah, yeah. But that first one, he snatched away. We talked about why does he just get out of the boat? Exactly. The only time that happens in any other of the Imrov is when they get to the Isle of the Women and the men are snatched out of the mm. boat because the woman throws a sticky ball of wool and yeah. drags them in. Reels them in. Yeah. Is this suggesting that there, at the centre of this journey, mm. is an island where the women are drawing people off onto the island, but they're no longer women, they're demons. Yeah, yeah. I, and I would dismiss that if it wasn't for that quote I put in about St. From Augustine. St. Augustine, yeah. You know, the idea that women lure men to their doom. Absolutely, yeah. It's actually difficult to just dismiss completely. I know, I know, it is. Yeah, it's pretty awful, but there you go. Is that's what happened to the Isle of Women? Yeah, and that the only Ooh. the only way of reaching salvation is to be this community of men without women. Yeah, now you see, it's true that Maldouin turns away, and we mm. said this was a new stage, that in fact you might, but he turns away because they want to work. Exactly, he, yeah. well, They want interesting things yeah. to do. They don't want to just have, have an easy life. Passive. Yeah, exactly. But here it's much, much worse. Yeah. That, 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 that women will destroy yeah. their ability to get to heaven. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's... And unfortunately, yeah, we've seen it through history. Well, another thing that I think I really come away with from this is the way that the island of the pillar and the net just oh, can't be left out. That even here in, in Brendan, which is, you know, has been very deliberately crafted to demonstrate monastic life mm. and, and how to reach salvation, they still have this very curious image of this massive pillar coming out of the sea and the mm. net. Uh, now, coming down from it. I loved your idea about the the spider web. I think certainly in Well Dune, it has that quality. It's 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 a a precursor to the yeah. island of women who have yeah. this the sticky spider silk, or you know, that it could sort of foreshadow a web. You know, it's as we've been talking mm. and as we're coming to the end, it's just suddenly I'm getting an image in my head of mm. this great silver net mm -hmm. and it's clearly a Meldona silver net. Yes. And the, the net, it, although it's not so clearly a net in this one, it's still that yes. net feeling. Yeah. And what it's, I suddenly remembered um, Nuada. Yeah. The great man with his silver hand, mm. the, the, the sword of light, like the crystal pillar, mm. the great fisherman bringing silver across the sea. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly, you know, Nuada keeps flashing in my head. Now, mm. he's as mysterious uh, a character as you could ask for. He yeah. may be as central in the uh, in Moitura, yeah. but very little is known about him. Yeah, and even in Moitura, he already is, you know, very partially drawn figure you know we, we did speculate quite a lot because we had to speculate quite a lot mm. about you know who he was the fisher king who brings silver across the sea yeah yeah and he's the one with the sword of light mm. now again this is totally speculation it's yes. just images that come into my exactly. head and uh you know we i can't see whether these two images go together mm. the sticky ball of wool the net mm. the, the 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 web uh, they, whether they're mutually exclusive mm. or whether mutually inclusive. Exactly. It certainly needs thinking about further. Yeah, but I mean, what we do seem to have are these really strong images, the last echoes of an image of something that clearly was important, but that all of its connections and its yeah. ramifications they become have become lost. Yeah, yeah they they become disconnected yeah. from their stories. Yeah, they're just the after images of some but other story. Still powerful, they really are. Yeah, and that image sticks in your head it does. even now. It's a very visual image. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we still have to look at is the historical flavour to this text and the fact that people 
down the years and down the generations have often referred to the, the Brendan voyage as you know, something that that happened mm. historically, you know, and there are plenty of people who will say, oh, the Irish were the first to discover America. Yeah, and a trip to the New World, yeah. because of the volcanoes and the whales, etc. Yeah, they must they, have gone round the Northern Passage. Exactly, up via Iceland and mm. over Greenland and so on. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the descriptions are vivid. Um, and I have no doubt that the origin of those descriptions are from travellers' tales or from reading, you know, the classical yeah. accounts of volcanoes or... They do you know. show uh, elements, you know, there is the idea that, yes, people have seen volcanoes yeah. and seen whales, but as you say, you see whales off the Kerry coast. Oh, so. you do, yeah, but also that, you know, our ancestors were far better travelled and better read than we give them credit for. Yeah. You know... Um, I mean, Tim Severin certainly proved it was possible yeah. to uh, cross the Atlantic with the technology of the time. Exactly. I think it's a fantastic journey. Oh, it's a wonderful amazing. story. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that it was an individual called Brendan who did it. Exactly, yeah. Um, but I think that because we've been looking at this in the context of other Imrov uh, journeys, that it's that intertextuality kind of makes the historical question, to me anyway, a little less important. You know, of course, there's historical possibilities, but... That's what not it, what it's about, it, is it? No, what it does have is all of those elements of an Imrov, which is a journey into the unknown, to the other world, yeah, and it's, that it still has all of those features. They are they are recognisable, exactly. even if the other world is not quite kind of quite the same place when they get there anymore. Yeah, but it still is that classic journey to the other world. Yeah, and if it when it comes down to it, if an Imrov is rowing around, yeah, well, Brenda does that for seven years. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> takes the biscuit. <laughs> the next one we want to look at, and we really are looking forward to this. Oh story. yes, yes. Um, this is the Adventures of Tyg McCain. It's a lesson known story about the son of a king who ended up on an adventure to the land of promise mm. but this text values the old ways and is has got a wicked sense of humor oh, yeah. and uh, includes loads of favorite characters from all the other Irish stories yes. and we're really looking forward to the next one we hope you'll join us yep thank you for listening to Ogilith Nanagas conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologists Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody for more information or to subscribe, please visit www.storyarchaeology.com. You can get in touch via email on the storyarchaeologists at gmail.com. <laughs>